David Jeffries is an absolute unbelievable manager. His thing was you win games, you win leagues, you win leagues, you win contracts, and and you stay at the club kind of thing. But our changing room was like poof, was like a prison. Like if you let if you if you like there were standards set in that change room and if you didn't abide by them, you know, I mean the change room dealt with you more than Davy had to step in. Stephen, Stephen Baxter just followed on that mantle. He, once he won the league title, he, he wasn't happy. He, he wanted the he wanted more. He got a taste of it. You want that fighting for your place wherever you're at. And that's one thing that Limfield and Crusaders had in abundance because you had a 30-man squad who were all quality. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Potscast. I'm Darren Potts. I'm going to be your host. Please remember, give me a follow. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube at the Potscast. A goal of mine has always been to do a Joe Rogan-style podcast and get a good three-hour episode in there. I've came pretty close here, but thank you, Michael Carville, for giving me your time. Before we get to the chat with Michael, just a reminder, Crusaders Kitman, Frankie Weir, that episode will be out towards the end of this month. Richard Clark, former Crusaders player and fan favourite, won league titles with the Crews, won the Irish Cup and League Cup with Glenn Torrent. That episode will be out probably around the start of May also, so look out for that one. But here we go. Let's get to Michael Carville. Five, four, three, two, one. So welcome listeners, another episode of the Potscast, and I'm delighted today to have one of the best players in the Irish League for the last number of years on the show with me. Goal-scoring midfielder, flying winger, champion, several times, I think it was five times in total. If I've done my research correctly, I'm sure he will tell me if I haven't. It is the current Dungannon Swifts player. It is Michael Carville. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for having me. And am I right? Was it five? I've counted five league titles in your career. Yeah, it, it, it is five. It's um, Obviously, I haven't won one in a while now, so um, I don't know if there will be any more this stage, but um, now it's five and uh, five great memories that I have obviously playing the league and it's something I was talking about actually the the other day actually it's something that you don't actually enjoy their moments enough and, and celebrate them enough obviously your focus then turns to right what's next here and I suppose the clubs I was at in terms of Linfield and Crusaders it, it was always that you know you've won a league title can you now defend it and, and obviously can you now push on again you're always thinking about the next season but when I'm in the position, obviously I'm in now, you kind of look back and think, God, that, they were good times. Like, but at the time, it was just it was just the norm. You took it for granted to be up there challenging and, and competing for league titles. So it was no, it was brilliant times. It's an interesting thing you've said because there's so much happening every year in the league. When you start talking about like league league challenges, league titles, and then you want to do well in the cups and you want to push on and then the league's really just over, then you're starting to go to Europe. So you probably don't really take in what has actually happened that season before you're constantly going, right, here we go again. Then you're looking, right, who the manager bring in? Who am I fighting for a spot with? And and then that all sort of begins begins to really rear its head again. Yeah. Linfield one, I suppose, that, that David Jeffries is... An, an absolute unbelievable manager. His thing was you win games, you win leagues, you win leagues, you win contracts and you, and you stay at the club kind of thing. Um, and it was always that one that you won a league and you were all sitting there and it was best, brilliant time, some amazing nights celebrating and days after and, and weeks sometimes I went into. But then all of a sudden the switch went, right, Davey knows. Um, there's a couple of players in the team that are maybe 
pastor Selby did. He's bringing in new new players. He's freshening up the squad, and before you know it, you're sitting there going, I'm, "I've got a tough job next year already." And, and that's and that's just the way it was. And I think good teams do that very well. They, they freshen up their squad every year and keep everybody hungry. But uh, Davy was brilliant at that. And then to be fair to Stephen, Stephen Baxter just followed on that mantle. He, once he won the league title, he, he wasn't happy. He, he wanted the he wanted more. He got a taste of it. And uh, you, you need to freshen it up and, and keep everyone on their toes. But um, no, it's 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 what you enjoy as well as a player. And I listened to a few of your podcasts and they've been excellent. Now, like Craig McLean and, and people like that. You, you want that um, that challenge and and that um, fighting for your place wherever you're at. And that's one thing that Limpfield and Crusaders had in abundance because you had a thirty man squad who were all quality. And I hear players in the Premier League saying it now. Some of their hardest matches was training. I, I can understand that because some of our training matches, especially at Linfield on Thursday night, are looking back on a midgley. And Davey used to say, right, go and play for the jersey. Whew. It was it was wild. Some fallouts, some characters and, and some tackles. But I think that's what that's what champions are made of and, and, and that's definitely made us stronger. I think the Lim- the Linfield one always interests me because obviously being a Crusaders fan, I'm more I sort of have more of an idea of what way it's always sort of worked the Crusaders, having talked to a few of their players. But whenever Crusaders were kind of, you know, building and beginning to put some building blocks in place, whenever you sort of looked at Linfield's squad, that was always one of those ones, whenever you seen maybe online the Linfield Sif, uh, Swift squad that was named for the weekend, you're like, mm-hmm. that's yeah. an unbelievable team. <laughs> like, that was right. incredible. <laughs> I don't remember, I played a few Swift games myself and you're looking around and like, that was one thing that I said, like young players nowadays, like don't take anything for granted. I remember some of the reserve teams, like Noel Bailey, Winky Murphy, um, Aidan O'Kane, Paul Macri, like all these players that had won numerous titles at Linfield and they weren't getting into the Linfield squad. They were sent down to the, the, the Swiss with Dennis Shields. And the moment they walked in that change room, it was, it was just like, it was like an Irish league match then, boys. Like, you know I mean? That was the kind of character often in the professionalism moment, and they wanted to win. But you're right, because some players and some clubs, and I still see it, even now, and the manager doesn't send down for the reserves because he doesn't want to, I don't know, get hurt their confidence or maybe like anything like that there. Maybe they think they're too good to go down. But when I look back at some of them Linfield teams that played in the reserves, it was frightening. But it was always a nightmare because I, I remember going back from injury and you went and played maybe in, in some of the competitions and you played against the team and, and they seen the, the, the list of names they were playing against. And next thing that came out, absolutely all guns blazing against against this kind of thing, and that was that was something you had to prepare for. But as a as a mentality of a team, to go and play for the Swifts at Linfield was just a given. If you weren't in the team, you went and played. And I think it's kind of changed now. The kind of that kind of mentality is kind of like an under twenties league kind of thing, isn't it? Where only so many players can play. But you're right, the, the Linfield team, but you could have 11 first team players all playing, and we would have had still had a 16 man squad that was as strong as any. So. I suppose in terms of quality and abundance, like that's one thing definitely at Linfield we had for, for the years I was there anyway, definitely. Yeah, unbelievable sides at the time. It's, it was always one of those games whenever we played Linfield back then and when I was talking to Michael Gull, we, we talked about this. It was really the Linfield and Glen Torn were the two big boys in the league and everyone else was kind of, you know, trying to get there, trying to build foundations and blocks in place yeah. to try and do something. And every, every year, you maybe, I remember one year, I think it was, it was 2009-10 season. We had just won the Irish Cup in 2009. We went to Windsor early on and Coatsy scored to make it 1-0 and we won the game 1-0. And I remember the confidence we had. We go, we can, we can challenge, we can challenge. And then a couple of months later at Seaview, 
Philip Monster scored a hat trick and we lost five nil. It was just like yeah. some unbelievable, you know, just that switch in gears, really. I uh, yeah, no, it was uh, those matches and I remember them well. I used to I used to love going to I went to Seaview when it was grass. Uh, um uh, actually just changed in my period. It was only grass maybe for one or two seasons when I started playing the United League. And I loved it. And I remember some of the games against Crusaders. But the thing that I respected about Crusaders from playing for Linfield, and don't get me wrong, when I was a Linfield player, we hated Crusaders. Like, And if anybody tells any differently, it was wrong. It was actually, we, obviously, the Glen Thorne rivalry was already there. My first year, we lost the league to Glen Thorne. And it was sickening. It was, it was terrible. Um, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was, a, it, was, it was the best thing that ever happened to a lot of our young boys. And I remember sitting in a, we were in, we went out at the end of the year and the, the Linfield had the player of the year dues. And we were sitting there. I remember sitting at a table and it was uh, Owen Kearney. I think Winky would have been there. Uh, Noel Bailey, the legend. Um, and somebody else, maybe Aidan O'Kane. Um, and they just sat there and goes, and we were all like, we were obviously the young boys. Like me, the young boys, I'm say it was me, Robert Gard, maybe. Um, Philip Laurie, we, we were all like, couldn't believe it and the next thing the turnaround goes don't worry boys your time will come and it was just that mentality from them like they, they they were devastated for losing the league but they looked at us and kind of thought right use your next in line here to carry the mantle so you just need to step up kind of thing and, and that was it and then I suppose in the back of that we went on and did the three doubles and it was just the best thing that happened to us was actually losing that league to Glen Thorne and I know looking back and people say of course you're going to say that but it was because I remember them singing songs with David Jeffrey in the Westbourne and things like that and that sparked the rivalry between us and Glen Thorne. That, that was already there. But for a player like me coming in or anybody coming into Linfield, if you didn't know what the big two rivalry was, then you were definitely brought into it. And it was great. That, and it's something I really miss those games and, and that tension. But getting back to Crusaders, Crusaders were building, as you said. And they, were, they kept chipping away at us. And they kept getting closer and closer and closer. And then it got to... Um, one season where it was the Irish Cup final, two Irish Cup finals, two years in a row. Yeah, heartbreakers. And, 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 <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I still, get, I, when I obviously went to Crusaders, I got a lot of stick about it as well because, like, I never, we as Linfield players, at that time, I don't know how to explain it. We got to the final of, of the Irish Cup and it was unbelievable. Don't get me wrong, but we kind of drove down to the Ramada Crown Plaza, got a meal, picked the team, travelled down to Windsor, which was our home kind of thing um, for a big match. And the cameras were there and, uh, and you had the suits and all on, which is fantastic. But then I looked at the video of the Crusaders players coming out <laughs> of Seaview and the, the, the whole street, red and black, you know, with the flags and all and, and all things like that, traveling towards the stadium. I was just like, wow, that's amazing. I think our perception of the Irish Cup was completely different to theirs and how big a day it was. We kind of got there and obviously then it turned into a massive day and, I remember Declan Cadell, one of the first set final, Declan Cadell scored, won 0 up. And um, Jamie Mulgrew came on and, and was brilliant, turned the game. And we ended up winning 2 2 1. I think Mark McAllister and Peter Thompson, maybe, maybe Mark McAllister scored. No, Mark McAllister and Peter Thompson, yeah. And then the following year was obviously a year um, where I, I was nervous because it's difficult when you play a team twice in a row because you're kind of thinking, oh no, after last year, this is going to be more difficult because the hurt and the pain, and I'm sure you can understand that as well. And Stuart, looking back, Stuart Dallas was there and all things like that. And um, we just started off like an absolute house on fire. And then obviously, I think we ended up winning 4-1. But Stephen Baxter came out after the match. I'll never forget it actually. And he said like, if I had 
Linfield's resources, I would sign all those players kind of thing. <laughs> and looking back at it, I kind of laughed at it because I suppose when you look at it, then he had me, Michael Galt, Billy Joe Burns, and Philly Laurie kind of playing in that starting in that team, playing in that cup final. And then the day, maybe three or four years later, he had us us in, their, in his team. So he kind of he kind of got his wish there on that respect. But um, no, those cup finals were were magical and de- definitely. Looking back, that, that match especially for me with, with, with the free kick was one of my happiest memories in football. It was unbelievable. Yeah, for, for the happiness that you had, it was the despair that we had. <laughs> like, it, it's crazy. Like, I'll say to anyone, there's probably, and we'll maybe come to talk about this later on the podcast, but there's probably nothing like winning a league title. But for me, my favourite day, it's always the Irish Cup final because it's the big day at the end of the season. Everyone's in the suits. You get up there's just a different buzz about it than just going to a normal league yeah. game, especially as a supporter. And I remember that the 2009 final against Cliftonville. Um, I was actually on my way home. Um, actually the way to see you, sorry, after, after the game when we won and you're just, you just can't believe it. Like to see your team win the Irish mm-hmm. cup, especially us at that stage. And it was yeah. funny because driving beside me, and the car was David Jeffrey. And I remember <laughs> looking out the window and kind of, you know, I ended up at the window and waving the Crusaders flag and he's seen it. And this, he sort of just then sped up and drove off. And now looking back, <laughs> the following season, when I've just poked the burr, he's probably went next season, these are all dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that, 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 was Dave, that was Davey's mentality. Like, and he, as we all know, like, he was a serial, serial winner, like, in terms of he, uh, the, the the best the best one I heard and I loved it like it was uh, I hope not oh well oh, I don't think I'm speaking out of confidence but obviously the the passion between Limpin Crusaders as you can remember them matches were getting rough and me used to go across and I remember Con coach throwing me into the slide me into the flipping barricade at Crusaders and getting sent off and then the McGree incident and there was all sorts of happening on the pitch and clashes and. Decking to Dale and kicking and all, all sorts. Michael Gulls taking lumps out of people. It, they were brilliant games, like fascinating games. But um, I remember the Irish Cup final, the second one, and Davy must have knew he was worried about us being complacent because obviously he'd won the league and um, he didn't want us to switch off. But I remember on the Thursday night, he brought us out onto the pitch at Windsor and we were all like, what's he doing here? This is crazy. But like, you know what I mean? Night, we were thinking we're going down to mid and doing normal training session. He's brought us out and he goes, I want every player to look across that stand. I was obviously the, the North stand where all the Crusaders fans would have been. And he goes, picture this, Colin Coates lifting the Irish Cup, thousands of Crusaders fans standing there, singing, laughing at Linfield Football Club. And just remember that when you end up walk onto the pitch on the Saturday. And I was just like, that was it. <laughs> that was that that was us. That was that was us. Nine said, boom, we know what we're doing here. That was the only talk we needed. I don't think he even needed to give a team talk before the match. And it kind of showed in our performance. But that's what the skill of David Jeffries had. He said the right things at the right time. And to me, that's that's management. That is the like the, the sign of a top class manager when. He knows when to say it and how to get a reaction out of all his players. And that's all we needed, really. And uh, no, it was, it, it was brilliant. And uh, you probably did poke the bar by waving that flag at him because I know he's a, a proud man. He was, he was obviously a proud Linfield man back in them days. <laughs> yeah, and the Glen Tour winning the league that year as well. It was almost like a, like a double whammy of just like, right, next season. And yeah. next season, Linfield just, you know, keep him think- ro- roaring back. <laughs> If I, if I remember correctly, that, that year, that was my first year back. I think Glenn Ferguson left the club 
yes after he did. Glenn Tormont yeah and we were all like I played <laughs> like, I, I can still remember because I I came back from Wrexham this is a true story this is a true story and Spike don't freaking kill me before I tell you a story I came back <laughs> and uh, we played Glenn Torn live on Sky I we played well and I linked up well and I was I just ran off Spike and just Spike just said put the ball in the box and that's all I had to do you literally just put the ball in the box and Spike would have finished it or he would have been near it he was, he was quality I still talk about him this day, and he, and he played a season with him. Um, but Dean Saunders took over the Wrexham job, and Dean Saunders rang up, got in contact with me after the Glen Torn game, after I'd left like Wrexham to come home, and he says, uh, I want you to come back. And, and I was like, um, all right, no problem, but you know, I'm signing for Linfield here. I'm at Linfield Football Club. And he's like, yeah, can you come over ne- next week? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, Linfield's like, it's a proper club. Like, you know what I mean? We're not just a Mickey Mouse amateur league club. I just can't walk out of the club. And he's like, right, okay. Um, but sure, I seen you playing up front with a granda there last week. Live on, and I was just like, oh my God, he's just called Glenn Ferguson granda. And I, <laughs> I was just like myself, that his mentality was Irish league. Come back over. Just walk out of your contract. Come back over and play football. And I was just like, oh my God, he hasn't called Glenn Ferguson. That's a grand down the phone here. And then I went, and then I just kind of thought to myself, right, okay. And not, and then obviously we know what happened. I didn't, I didn't take the offer and then go back and I stayed on. But looking back now, obviously when I talk about Santa Fours and I talk about anybody like Glenn Ferguson, right enough, left foot, right foot. Finishing strong. I'll never forget his goal against Glen Thorne in the first Boxing Day game. We beat them 3 0. I think it was Carl Nixon and Paul Lehman both came in in the sandwich him and he just right arm, left arm, both pushed both of them out of the way, like a half volley driven in it. And I never forget it. it was unbelievable. And he was a great, great, great fella too, and a great character as well. But that Linfield team was littered with characters and personalities that I didn't appreciate. I just, I don't know why, because obviously it was my first time in the United League. I didn't know. What it was like, but seeing you see them guys, and then oh, frightening the Winky Murphys, Stephen Douglas, Owen Kearney, Paul McAreevy, Michael Galt. God, you, I'm scared of forgetting to make Peter Thompson. You go through the whole team, was just me and Alan Manis, and that's frightening. Jim Irwin, and then obviously the likes of um, me and Billy Joe Burns and Robert Gard and uh, Martin Callister and Philip Laurie and all the agree into this team and it was just those that team there in that dressing room was unbelievable and the kind of the kind of training you went there on Monday and Tuesday you couldn't wait to go to train because the crack was so good with Winky Doogie and Goldie messing about and Paul McAreevy and all and the fun you had but see when I came to playing and working they just switched just turned straight to football and um, they were some of the best days in football definitely great change room it's interesting because a lot of those guys went on in the coaching and management, you know, nearly half mm. of the ones that you've mentioned there, you know, even, yeah. you know, Chris Lindsay, Michael Galt, um, even Sturdy King prior to probably your time at Linfield, you know, put, yeah. played under Davey and he's out managing and Owen Kearney and even Stephen Baxter from his time at Linfield yeah. in, in management. And it, it's pretty and crazy what sort of has happened from that probably that dressing room Glenn Ferguson obviously as well you know his time at yeah. Ballymena and stuff it's 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 actually really nuts I think looking back and seeing the amount of people that came out of that it's, change room with coaching aspirations and wanting to go into the the manager managerial coaching side of the game do, do you know what it, what I think reminds me of like Alex Ferguson and the the Brit Steve Bruce and the Mark Hughes and and the players that came on there Alex Ferguson in terms of that that team 
that went on, you know, obviously Giggs went into management, Gary Neville, all these players that came out of working with Alex Ferguson and David Jeffries, I suppose, is our Alex Ferguson in terms of in terms of the Irish League. And a lot of them players probably seen the way David did things and thought, Chris Lindsay, like I, I've, I've worked on the Chris and Chris had traits of David Jeffries. He took some of David Jeffries' traits and used them because they were so effective. Um, and I'm sure a lot of the older players did the exact same thing. But I think one thing that probably they learned when they did go into management, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm just assuming this, they had how difficult it is. And Davey was one of them people that, you know, he, t- he was so broad, talk about broad shoulders and taking it all in. Obviously, when I met him, he wasn't, he was well experienced, but he seemed, to, he seemed to manage a whole club, carry all the players, carry all their emotions on his own shoulders. And he took that for the club kind of thing. I don't know why the man's still walking. <laughs> he still, I, I still, he still does it, and he's still in management. But it, his character and personality, to me, inspired people to go into management. There's no doubt about it. The way he speaks to people, the way he handles people, the way he makes you feel as a person, that inspires people to go into management. It's like anything in life. If, if you work with someone that inspires you to go on and work in their profession, depending on what kind of um, memories you have working for them, that's that's what's going to later happen on life. And I think a lot of them players had so many life-changing memories under David Jeffries. So for them, management was a no-brainer. But um, it's difficult. And, uh, and I've obviously seen that myself and all through a lot of different managers I work for. It's not easy, but um, it's, it's, it's a lot of stress and it's, it's a lot of time as well. I don't think maybe the fans even appreciate the amount of time away from the club that it takes to um, be a manager. But no, Davey definitely had that effect on a lot of them players. Yeah, undoubtedly. And you can even see that still, you know, when he's on the BBC or if he's just doing, you know, the punditry or the, the guest, you know, for the BBC matches these days. When he talks, it, people just are kind of drawn to hear what he has to say because of the wealth of knowledge and the experience that he has. And before, I want to ask another question about Davey, but it, it, it ties in with you signing for Linfield. But before I get to that part, I want to know about your time growing up and then moving across the water to play for Charlton. Like, tell me a bit about that. Was that always the goal for you, you know, growing up to, to play football and go across to England or potentially even Scotland? Or what, what was the, what was it like? Yeah, um, I suppose this is, I don't get too emotional now in this one. <laughs> I suppose for, for myself, when I was younger, um, football was, football was me everything. I always wanted to be a footballer. Um, I know it sounds like a very cliche story, but it was just one of them ones that, I got a bug for football from a very young age. I started playing, um, I think, cross-guard youth league and, and different things, Camelot Rack, and it was Simply Day YC. And then it was just that passion of, of I just loved it. And I was good I was good at it. Obviously, I, I got a feeling for it. I didn't know it was good. Obviously, you don't know you're good, but I seem to be doing things on football pits that, you know, all the players in the team couldn't do. And I just got this real bug for it. I and mean, that was me. And I started from eight and I was out all day practicing on um, at the front of my house and playing with my older brother and, and things like that. But I didn't realise um, how quickly my football career took off at such a young age, if that makes any sense. Because when I look back, when I was 13, that was the first time I got a phone call about going to trial. And it was Arsenal. They rang my dad after a county match and I played for County Down against Belfast and, and, and did very well. Playing against the Belfast team was all the, the best players and I was lucky to sign for St Andrews under Joe Kincaid and our St Andrews team was just blessed with ridiculous talent. Like I remember 
I speaking to Stefan, who was like the year below us, one of the, does a lot of scouting around. Um, and I was like, now a wealth of knowledge works with County Antrim, um, as well. And he says he used to knew, 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 no, sorry, Arsenal Andrews team was playing because there was more scouts at the side of the pits than parents. It was just ridiculous. Like in our team, we had it was Chris Casement, Robert Gard, Trevor Carson, Craig Cathcart, um, Frightening, and then the rest of the players, Johnny Black, Grant Gardner. Eamon Murray, um, there's loads of quality players. And there's even some players I'm not even mentioned that maybe went on the house. And I say great, but when we were growing up, they were they were quality players, but the scouts seemed to follow all our matches. So for me, when I started performing, doing well in that environment, I, I was literally being flown across the water every week. Like I like I don't want to go into every single club, but my first club I'll never forget I went away was Arsenal when I was 13. Like looking back on it, <laughs> I always say this: my like my dad would have been arrested for like <laughs> social services. Basically, got a phone call saying, "Yeah, drop your son down. He's getting on the flight to Heathrow, and there'll be somebody at the other end that will pick him up." Kind of thing. And, and I was just like, "Right, okay." Never been on a flipping plane before in my life. Landed in the Heathrow, which was obviously as, as you can imagine as an airport for a thirteen-year-old. And I and I was just <laughs> asking people what, like I would ask people where do I go, this and all. And the, to be fair, they looked after me. And I got out there and there was a man waiting, collect me and bring me to, and play a match. And I went and stayed overnight in a, like a digs. And um, we played Tottenham the next day and I put on the Arsenal kit, the, the proper Arsenal kit, as I told, I couldn't wait to come with me. So it was like the real Arsenal kit, kit with a neck picking all on. And I remember going to the training ground and Arsenal Wenger and all was all there. It was, it was incredible. Like if, you, if you've ever seen Arsenal's training ground, it was just unbelievable. Like heated floors and all was amazing for a 13 year old. Um, playing for St Andrews in the South Belfast League to see that that was just like wow um, and we played Tottenham the next day and th- this is it and I, and I went out and played and I th- see when I was younger I had this thing I don't know what it was I had just no fear of, of anybody or, or anything and the players like I'm as you know everyone knows in the Irish League I'm small but it was still small back then but some of the boys I was playing against in England were like six foot they looked like men like absolute solid like I couldn't believe the size compared to the league we played in, you know what I mean? I don't know what it is with, with the people in our country, but over in England, they were massive. I was thinking, oh my God, this is going to be, it's going to be tough. I don't know if I'll be, I'll do well here. But I remember my auntie, who's unfortunately passed away now, gave me, uh, uh, Christopher, I think it was, for travel. And she gave me it, and I had the war, I wore it around my neck. And before the match kicked off, I, uh, the referee goes, can't wear that, son. So I had to take it off. And I ran across to this man who was there representing Arsenal. And I goes, can you hold this? And he was a he's southern, southern Irish accent. And he goes, yes, Michael, no problem. I'm Liam. I'm, I'll be taking you to the airport after the match. So I was like, right, okay. So I, I gave him it. Um, went and played the match. Scored a hat-trick against Tottenham. And I, I, and it was, I loved it. I thought, this is, this is brilliant. No? And then it was kind of like, I just walked off the pitch. And I kind of was like, I thought that wasn't that bad. That was easy. And I came home and... And Liam, Liam drove me, this man Liam drove me to the airport and I goes, oh yeah, I know a typical um, Northern Ireland cheeky. That wasn't cheeky, but I was just getting in a car. He goes, oh yeah, remember I give you that wee necklace thing? Do you have it? And he absolutely, his face went white. And he went, oh, I don't know. I don't know where I've put that. I'm so sorry and all. And things I got there, they got there. I'm, I'm devastated, sorry and all. And I was like, all right, all right, thanks. And I was like, right. And he was talking me the whole way home and I, and I was, after that match, I don't know. I must have been in a different world. I was just talking away. And, you know, you're still young and you're trying to get a conversation across. So he said, don't worry, I'll sort it out. So I was like, 
like what's this what's this fella talking about like so did I like you know what I mean like, how's he gonna sort it it's, it's only it's only a necklace it's okay um and I got home and my dad was like how'd you get on I was going I that I'm some fella lost my <laughs> that's the first thing I said some fella lost the, the necklace and he's like who and I was like some fella Liam uh, but he said he'll sort it out my dad was like Liam so it went on my dad said how'd you get on I was like yeah scored three and my dad was like wow, wow must have done well and I was like yeah it was, it was easy enough and it wasn't like an arrogance thing because there's one thing about me is not arrogant. I just found it very at that youth level. The age of I thoroughly enjoyed playing. And my confidence was so high, and I was a centre forward growing up, and I, like I just scored goals wherever I went. Um, but to cut back to the story, it, it ended up being Liam Brady. He was one of like, the biggest names. <laughs> yeah, an Arsenal legend. Like, and I'm so embarrassed this day because Dad says because he sent a letter with this in Christopher back to us. And he invited me back for a trial to Arsenal to go back over again. But, but at this stage, Manchester United came in for me. And I was absolutely the Manchester United Academy. And I was working with Eddie Coulter. Uh, he, a legend that he was, Eddie Coulter. Um, obviously, brought, brought me down to there and I worked with Tony Coulter. And I was a, I'm a Manchester United diehard. Um, and I, I was down, that was me in the Man United Academy then. Um, over here. And it was, it was me, Johnny Evans. Craig Cathcart, David Howland, Mark Wilson, Tony Kane, unbelievable selection of players. We trained every Sunday down the Olympia in Belfast. Um, and that that was my best grounding for football because in terms of St Andrews, don't get me wrong, it was fantastic. We, we but we we couldn't get teams to play that would give us a challenge. You know, what I mean with that the amount of players we had in that St Andrews team, it was far too easy. But then when we went and played in that Manchester United Academy setup against the likes of Johnny Evans and people like that there, it was, it, it was brilliant. It, it, now, that really moulded me as a player. Um, and fair play to um, Tony Coulter and, and Eddie, obviously, and, and how they, and Bob Nesbitt was the coach. He was fantastic. He had that set up. But um, I was constantly going trials, your Liverpools, your Chelsea's, some mad, mad amount of trials, Leeds, I agreed a contract at Leeds, um, Sunderland, there was over Sunderland, I don't know how many times I went over to Manchester United three times. They flew flew my parents over one day I was playing. I didn't know my parents were flying over. Um, and they were standing there outside Carrington in the training ground. And I was just like, that was the norm to me, Darren. But that was just like, I don't know. I didn't don't want to say that. I was just like, I expected to be playing in them games and, and kind of looking back now. And I'm gonna look at it now, I go, wow. And I actually I never did look back because you know, as a player, you never do think back, but I lived like the most privileged life from 13. The 16, and then that led into my international career with the Northern Ireland under 16s, 17s, and 19s. Like I, I was playing for Northern Ireland under 19s when I was 15 years of age. And looking back on it now, I was just the type of player I was. I was just like not afraid of anybody, loved it, and I couldn't wait to my next game. And it was just, I was just on so much confidence. And um, I even went away, Kenny Shields was our Northern Ireland 17 manager. and I went away with him a year young. Kyle Lafferty called into the squad as well. And that, that we qualified for the last eight in the whole of Europe. And I was the top goal scorer. I think it was still, it was called the record. I, I hold the record for the top goal scorer under 17 level for Northern Ireland. Michael O'Connor was in that team as well. And me and, me and Michael O'Connor, I think I scored seven and Michael O'Connor scored six over the whole campaign. And we qualified for the last eight and played against France. And they had the likes of Ben Orpha, Benzema, um, God, they were riddled with work quality throughout. Um, but that, even that, playing international football for me as a 15, 16 year old up against 17 year olds, 
we beat Belgium out in Belgium. I'll never forget it. You know, I mean, we we're beating everybody. We played with that team, and that was just my, um, as some people would say, champion mindset for a young player. It was just like I thought it was so easy. I didn't really have any big setbacks. If you don't understand, like I didn't really have any like knockbacks. Somebody tell me I wasn't good enough because most clubs I went to invited me back because I did well in the trials. So it, it was a. It was a crazy time and it was the best best days of my life, obviously, looking back in terms of football. Um, but at the end of it, they came down to it, obviously, there was chart. I had agreed to sign with Leeds. I, I fell in love with Leeds. Um, their academy, the setup, they wanted to get the deal done. It was a four-year contract, which was brilliant. And then I think if you remember back, Leeds went um, in a bit of financial difficulty and yep, they said yep. they, could, they, they couldn't honour that contract. And at this stage, I was I was doing well with Chardon Athletic as well, who Matt Bradley was the scout. Um, I think I heard Roy Patterson talk about Matt quite a lot. Matt was brilliant. He's now a scout for Celtic. Um, but a great man, there's football. And, and, and he had a good relationship with him. And then Chardon was Chardon was one of them clubs I went and trial with and seemed to have a worldly every time I went and thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, it was kind of Leeds or Chardon. And if I'm looking back at it, I wanted to go to Leeds. It was more... It's hard to explain if, if if you know England, like you know, I mean, Leeds is more a bit more similar to what I knew of Northern Ireland, Belfast, living outside Belfast, and the type of people. Do you know what I mean? Whereas London was just wow, blew me, it absolutely blew me away. Um, but the the Leeds thing fell through, and then obviously a sign for Charlton and that a four year contract back then, which is um was an unbelievable achievement that flew me and my whole family out we did the signing on the pitch kind of thing for a premiership game and all I still cringe at my dad walking off and waving into the crowd and, and I'm going hey, like, who are you waving at and my dad just down a tunnel goes I always wanted to do that because when you wave up there <laughs> <laughs> nobody knows who you're waving at and I was like oh my god dad what are you, you know what I mean when you're a teenager you're like that's amazing <laughs> And then my brother flips. Uh, oh, my brother was in the board. We're in the boardroom, and we're having this big fancy meal, and they brought my whole family down. And it was quiet. My brother's a bit of a character, and everybody knows him. Like he's a we'd call a bit of a bluffer. Like and he tells this story. And what about you, then, Gavin? Could could you have been a professional footballer? And, and he was like, Yeah, he, in, like instantly, just in front of everyone. He goes, Yeah, I, I could have been. Um, I was obviously a, a very talented player, probably better than Michael. Who I'm sitting there beside him, going, Gavin, shut up, shut up. But uh, I was down at a Northern Ireland training camp down in Coleraine. And do you know when we divots where the corner flag is? I tripped over one of them and did my ankle and I never was the same player. And I'm sitting looking at my mum and dad going, has he just said that in front of all these people at Jordan? Like, they're just honestly going to believe him. Like, Gavin, he was a good player, but he was nowhere near <laughs> the standard that he was going to be a footballer. But they bit this story. And, and the English people, like, looked at him as if to say, Oh, that's a terrible story, and all. I feel sorry for it. I'm looking at him going, Oh my god, what, what this is just embarrassing here. What is <laughs> why did I bring my family with me over here to sign up? But uh, looking back at it, we still laugh about those stories, and probably in a way, we didn't really appreciate well, I didn't appreciate because I was only 16 how special them days were, and how much um, we probably should have enjoyed them even more. It was just like we took them for granted, I suppose. It's mad because. It, when I when I spoke to Howard Beverland and, and he texts me after and he says he, he's never really sat and sort of thought back or talked about or even looked back at his career because you're so focused on, you know, we talked about the next season, the next cup, the next whatever, you kind of just forget. And when you actually sit and look back at, at your career, especially 
um, where you are now is as you're beginning to go into your sort of coaching licenses and stuff like that. And we'll come to that a bit later. When you're looking back at your career, winning leagues, winning titles, going across to England, United, Arsenal, all this sort of stuff. It's, it's actually, it's crazy to think back at it and probably something that you wouldn't change in terms of your football journey. No, absolutely not. And I was very lucky last year that I started working for the Club NI system. I'm um, starting to work with the young boys who were um, 2006s. I've seen a lot of them coming into the change room and, and, and the scouts talking to them about going across the water and things like that there. And there's some boys that hadn't been on trial. And I just kind of look at them going, you know, going on trial is not the be all and end all, but I was kind of looking at them going, wow, you know what I mean? And these boys were like good footballers and they're trying their best. When I look back when I was playing, like, you know what I mean? To me, it was, it was easy to get across the water almost in terms of trials. And it's something then I can use now because when I'm talking to them young players, you know what I mean? I understand their journey, what's ahead of them, the experiences as well. And it's, it's definitely something that you just enjoy and, and look back on fondly because I think as hard, probably hit the nail on the head, you don't look back. You never have a chance in football to look back. It's, you're always being judged on your next game or where's your next club or where's your next um obviously what's your future whole kind of thing so looking back at times i think for those for definitely for me anyway i'm trying to give them stories to young players about times when maybe i went across the water and was difficult and struggled and why it's good for them but one thing i will say is that i think this country as a whole getting young players across to england too early has to stop i'm have to start looking at filtering them you know more into the irish league and letting them go across late because obviously with my career and my journey, I noticed that going across to England was kind of like a tick box. Almost it was just like, oh, I've achieved something now. But if you delay that and keep them playing here locally until maybe they're a bit older, um, I think obviously the long-term development of the player, that's my opinion now. I think you'll see more players coming through the system. But it, it's very difficult when you when clubs from England are ringing your house and asking you to come across and, and things like that there. So... No, it's it's um it's something that you have to be grateful for. But in a way, I probably accept it and enjoy it. But I wouldn't really talk about it outside of this, obviously. Um, but it's definitely the the best days and stuff that you you look back on and think, wow, and it brings back good memories, which which I think is the whole point of why we play football and enjoy it. You know, I mean, you don't really remember the the trophies or anything like that, or the medals or anything like that. You remember the memories or the the times you felt good and had a good time with your friends or stuff like that there. So for me, that's very, very important. Yeah, hundred percent. It's those moments, isn't it? That just sort of last forever. And you almost have like a little photo album in your head of these various moments throughout your career. And I, I'm saying that in terms of a supporter, I have like that sort of memory of different times through my time following Crusaders of just different moments that have just went, that's, that's going to stay with me forever. And sometimes as weird as this sounds, it's not just a trophy. It's, it's a performance sometimes, you know, a, a particular game stands out or a particular performance or whatever. But there's something you mentioned in your answer there about leading sort of younger players into the Irish League. And I wanted to chat about this later, but it's a good time to bring it up because you mentioned it. We've seen it with Gavin White. We've seen it with Stuart Dallas. We've seen it with Mark Sykes and Bobby Burns and even Gareth McCauley, if we go further back where these players have had a foundation in the Irish League and then moved across. And they almost seem to do a little bit better because I don't know, and maybe this is me being, I could be totally wrong on this because there are players that have went across and it has worked for them. But quite often you see lads go across, it's maybe 16, 17, um, 
and they end up coming back a bit too early. Maybe the, the being away from home, the freedom that comes with that, maybe not ready for it. And I agree with you. I definitely think we should be using our own league a little bit more because the quality is improving too. The quality of the league, the quality of play, the quality of coaching is going up and up and up every year in our league. Yeah. And it's something to be proud of. And I think that bleeding in of young players into the Irish league, in through teams in the Irish league is definitely the way forward. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And as you say about the league, when I came back to the league, we were full-time with Linfield and our full-time training wasn't full-time training. We, we, we trained in the morning and I, but did a bit extra went to the gym and I can tell you some different stories with that, but you know, we, we were, we were deemed full-time, I suppose. Um, when you look at the full-time environment of Lauren have now, Glenthorne have now, Linfield are going and Crusaders have, um, for them young players now, they're getting, ex- they're getting as much training exposure with the BBC streaming and the Sky Sports games and things like that there. And as you say, the standards got a lot better and they're playing against men like the Gavin White, you know, I mean, you would have looked at Gavin White when I first joined Crusaders. I got Gavin White and thought a stick insect, he'd be easily shrugged off the ball. Wow, you know what I mean? As he as he grew and matured, he was stronger on the ball. He knew how to use his body, protect the ball, and he's a to me he's a prime example for yeah. a young player. You know what I mean? And I, I actually looking back, I remember Billy Joe Burns signed for Crusaders, and he rang me up, and I and it was it was actually emotional because you know they were best mates in Olympic for so long, and I rang him. I remember the first day of preseason, I was like, "What's it like?" And he was like, I was like, what's Paul Heaton like? What's Colin Coates and all? What were they like and all what were they like? And he goes, you want to see the wee, the wee right winger? And I was like, I was like, what? And he goes, you want to see him, man? He's quality. And that was Billy Joe. And Billy Joe is the most honest guy you'll ever meet in football. I've never met a more, met a more honest person and good guy in football. And he doesn't, Billy Joe, obviously, you know Billy Joe better. He, Billy Joe doesn't love football. He's not like, like I'd be a bit more obsessed. Like I'd watch football every day if it was on TV. Billy Joe's more like in this PlayStation and American football and things like that there. But when Billy Joe Burns compliments a player, you know he's a good player. See, when Billy Joe told me about Gam White, I was like, wait, you see? And then within about literally three months, I think I remember him, he destroyed us. Well, I can't remember, he scored it. I think Sean Morty ran past Wardy. And I, I was like, wow. But that was the making of, of Gavin White. And then when I joined the club, Everyone was like, why are you going to Crusaders? You know, they've got Paul Heatley, Gavin White, you know what I mean? It's going to be tough to play. But I suppose my mentality was great because you're getting this opportunity to go and play with these good players and try and win trophies. But getting back to Gavin White, Gavin White then went through a bad period. When I joined the club, he had a wee dip in form. But Crusaders looked after him, protected him. Stephen looked after him. Um, the players knew how good he was. We got around him and he came back stronger. And then he pushed on and on and on. So he had that wee setback. But he was in his local club and the club knew how, how good he was and we wanted to help him. If he was over in England and he had that setback at 17 or 18, he could have been on the first flight home. And, and you know, when a player comes back, and I, and I know what it's like, it's the most difficult thing in the world. When he comes home, it's, it's, it's awful. It's very, very difficult to fit back into your society, your friends, and everything's changed and you feel a wee bit abandoned. But Gavin had that grounding where he was around his friends and we all supported him and we were there for him and advising him and he just took off. And to me, that that's the best example for a young player. Like, don't get me wrong, you're always going to have... I was lucky to play with Johnny Evans. Johnny, me and Johnny were the same age growing up. Johnny was a superstar at the age of 13, 14. Like, you know, I mean, his career was, was frightening. Like, he literally said to me, I'll never forget it, best line I've ever heard. He goes, why are you going and trial to all these other clubs? And I was like, you know, I, I want... Because I, I don't know, I don't think I want to play for Man United. Johnny, like, kind of, like, joking, you know what I mean? Like, in a way, he goes... 
and uh, I, I only want to play for Man United. And I was just like, wow. And that was his mindset. Do you know what I mean? So he set himself a target. He's going to play for Manchester United and he was loved by Manchester United. And obviously they looked after him as well. But him, Steve Davis, boys like this, Aaron Hoost, boys like that will naturally go across the water and get good contracts and good clubs and make it. But I worry about the boys that are going across different clubs and not getting that experience, falling out of love with the game and coming home and not playing football. Whereas if they stayed in the Irish League, they maybe had more of an opportunity to develop so they'd be ready to step up kind of thing. And I suppose we have to, as our culture, have to stop really prioritising, sending boys across on two-year scholarships to different clubs in England and Scotland because we think it's better for them than here because you have the nail on the head. The coaching's getting better here. The standard's getting better. And the product of the league is definitely a lot better. And I think that's been proven during this lockdown in terms of the amount of people have said to me, I can't watch Premier League football at the minute. It's boring me. But when there's an RC game on, I can't wait to turn it on because it's it's something different. It's refreshing uh, and it, it's getting that wee bit of a buzz back. So I think you're 100% right about the <clears throat> keeping the players here for a wee bit longer and developing them so they're, they're more equipped, obviously, when it comes to full-time football and playing against men. Yeah, I think there's an honesty about Northern Irish football in terms of, you know, the Premier League, you're talking about VAR and refereeing decisions and stuff. And of course that happens over home refereeing decisions and things like that. But there's an honesty I'm not about, about refer- I'm not talking about referees. I can lose but, my job. Uh, but, there's a, but, there, but there's an honesty about it in terms of, there's a bit of blood and thunder in terms of that you can still hit a big tackle over home. You can still, yeah. you can still really get a big physical good game of football, but then there's the quality that's starting to come through too of the technical players are beginning to be able to get more of a chance. Whereas maybe yeah. before it was a bit more like just powerful football. Who's your power players. And that's going to be what you build the team around. And that's slowly changing. And it was interesting when Gavin signed for Cardiff under Neil Warnock, the one of the first things that Neil said in his interview and, being a Crusaders fan, it was almost like, I now have to follow Cardiff every week. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Neil Warnock was then talking in his interview and saying about it actually is the raw, like the rawness of Gavin is what attracted him to Gavin White. And it was that that fearlessness just to get it, get the ball and run at a defender. And I think that's just really part and parcel with the confidence and that ability playing at home at a young age against men before you've really yeah. had that like, Oh, this fullback's really good. Gavin just getting the ball and being like, "Let's go." Yeah, that that like Gavin White was a an entertainer, something else. But he, he had that, as you say, rawness about him, that exciting winger that that kind of took out of the game. Like if you if you look at football now, it's kind of more like tactical and inverted wingers, and it, like you rarely see a fullback, even in the Premier League, or a winger squaring up as the fullback and taking them on, kind of thing. It's more you know, I mean, keeping the ball in possession based style play. But Gavin had that, and it's interesting me say about Neil Warnock saying that as well. It's that rawness of all our players is what makes them, I think, a wee bit more unique when they go across. And that, to me, is being overcoached out of these players when they go to England. Because when they go to England, and I've seen it, and anybody that's been in England will tell you this, you go to 18s, 20s reserves, or 17s, 19s reserves. I don't know what it is now. Back in my days, it was 18s, 20s reserves. And you're taught how to play one, one way. And then next thing, the matches turn into like, you're almost like a robot. You're almost structured into this predictable outcome. And if you've seen one under 20s game in England, you've seen them all. And that's to me, not what football should be about. It's about imagination, creativity and excitement and something different. And and that's what obviously Neil Warnock's seen when he's seen Gavin White. Now, if Gavin White went to England when he was 16, 
somebody might have turned him into a right back or a hard working, you know, right midfielder who keep the ball kind of thing. But at Crusaders, we got the ball to Gavin White and goes, Gavin, just go. Take on if you want to take on the whole pitch, you do what you have to do. And I think that's the kind of thing that you know he made him stand out and, and obviously light up the league. And I think that's why the Irish League still has that. And I just hope that we can continue to develop that creativity and imagination and improve it. Because I watched the Lauren Crusaders game that was on TV a few on Sky. Obviously, it was a great platform for the league. I'm still delighted because as an Irish League um supporter, y- y- your heart breaks when a bad match goes on TV because you always think I was a missed opportunity. Do you know what I mean? It was live on Sky. And Sky came over and it was like a wet and windy night or something. The conditions were awful and it actually looked embarrassing. Do you know what I mean? And I think we, as you say, are honest, but we just laugh that off. But I think at times we almost have to expect better as well because the league's got quality in it. And, and that showed that day that Crusaders and Lauren played as well. And, and the, how the league's developing is, is fantastic. And I just hope we can continue to develop better players and obviously create that full-time model would be fantastic for the league. I would love to see it. Yeah, 100%. It's it's something that we just are crying out for, isn't it? We're just craving for it. Um, the more and more you see the league develop in the last couple of years, especially with the BBC stuff and all the live games and clubs doing streams since COVID, you're sort of going, this could be a reality sooner rather than later, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed. But something you touched on there about the freedom and imagination of an attacking player um, when you played at Wrexham, you were fighting relegation in League Two. Now, as an attacking player, I want to know firstly just about your time at Wrexham, but how hard is that for an attacking player to express themselves and really use that imagination in a relegation sort of threatened side? If you're maybe battling relegation under the cosh, maybe a little bit, and maybe there's a confidence issue in terms of the whole squad, is that more difficult for an attacking player to really get up and you know just create? Definitely. Um, I, I obviously, Charton, I think I'm saying Alan Pardew came out of Charton and, and released me. He was only at the club a week and I, that just taught me the roughness of the football. And I was complete, I was there for about three and a half years and um, Seamus Heath got in contact, who was actually um, a grassroots coach back here. Seamus, who obviously does a lot of work on football in the New York Morning Dinery. And he previously had played for Wrexham. Um, so he had contacts up there and he rang them up and I, and I went up and there was a man, Steve Cooper, who's actually now the head coach, he's the manager of Swansea and he was also the, the manager that led the England under 17s to the, the World Cup on the World Cup there with Phil Foden and all them so Coops was as, as at Wrexham and I didn't know him if you've seen this man you've seen him for Swansea he's a lovely man but he doesn't look like a football person and, and he was my uh, coach when I went to Wrexham I remember joining the reserve game and played and he goes yeah we'll take you and I was like brilliant fantastic sign for Wrexham done deal no problem but I came into a team it was a Rex was a well-supported club in North Wales. Um, obviously across the border, Chester was the biggest rivals, and they were linked to at the time. And Joey Jones was there, and and I didn't really know who Joey Jones was until my dad told me about an ex-Liverpool won the European Cup, an absolute legend man. But me and Robert Gard ended up there, and who was at one of my best mates growing up in football, played against St Andrews. We, you hit the nail on the head when you went into a team like that. I could just literally see, like in the training pitch strikers like lacking in confidence um wide players everyone was almost like afraid to make a mistake and it's something that i'm actually experienced we're experiencing at the minute in Dungannon. when the confidence goes from a player it's the most difficult thing to give it back to me and it's something i always say in football if you could give somebody a bag of confidence if you could just hand them anything in life if you give them confidence they turn into a different player but when a team is losing constantly getting beat they start believing that's where they belong to be and then they accept it 
And I think that's what would happen at Wrexham when I was there. And we went through a period and it was tough. The best learning for me ever. Um, I, I didn't make like loads of appearances at Wrexham, but obviously I played a lot in them games that in the end up run up to the end of the season. And it was physical, physical league. Similar to the Irish League in many ways. Um, strong. Um, obviously I was a five foot nothing winger. And I was always the first person to get hit because I obviously, you know what I mean, try and get the ball down and maybe take a full back on or, or do something. But you started appreciating that you had to be a bit clever and use the ball differently and put your body in different different positions to protect yourself. But in terms of creativity, in the League 2, it was literally like, it was, it was they were fit. Like, relegation from League 2 is different than anything else because if they could relegate out of League 2, the club could go out of existence. And Rex has been around for so many years. You know, players lose their jobs because they're full-time footballers. But going to the conference, they might not, they won't be full-time footballers again. So there's so much pressure zoomed in on you. And it's one thing I loved about England was the pressure of the, the local newspapers and the Wrexham Herald and the evening news and your pictures off you and all and have to step up really. And it was like a passion. They've got a real, real passion like we do for football, but they're really obviously broadcast. Um, but like footballers are, are human beings and there were some good players there like Neil Roberts I think was a, like an ex-Welsh international he was the centre forward and he was the, the blue-eyed boy but you could just see he was carrying so much pressure and struggling to score and we ended up staying up in the last match of the season it was a uh, members on Sky Sports News and all and, and we scored and we to a boy called Chris Llewellyn if you ever get a chance to watch it he does the, the wee flick um, I think it's a Rabona they called in it or he, he's crossed the ball in and we've scored a header and he's done that you know what I mean? In a, in a relegation dogfight in the last match of the season, I think it was against Mansfield. And um, we managed to stay up. And um, that was amazing. That was incredible. And we obviously celebrated that. And I went out, and me and Robert Gard, Robert Gard was on loan from Stoke. And we went out with all the boys and all an amazing time and all. And it was it was almost like winning the league, I suppose, because you stayed up. The relegation part, the celebrations of staying up over there was massive. Um, but you're right in terms of playing in them matches wow that was a real eye-opener of how difficult football was in England especially in the lower leagues and that's why when when I see players going across England and they think maybe I'll go to league two and league one and get my chance I'm like do not disrespect that league do so at your own peril like that peril that is not an easy league playing so that's why when I see boys from Northern Ireland doing well in these these leagues I'm thinking that's brilliant because it is difficult and it is it is a challenge and it's something that we have to obviously look at as a as a country as well, but send players across, you know, what club they're going to and, and how much game time they're going to get. But in terms of development and, and obviously getting more people across the water, these clubs are also great breeding grounds as well for developing them for further talent. But I keep a close eye on Gavin White and, and he's doing brilliant at the minute for Hull. Obviously he's just off the back of the weekend of scoring two. And it's great that these players are getting the opportunities to play. And and going back to your point about obviously how I see that working in terms of creativity. For me, I, I have to be honest, I, I did struggle in League 2 because it, I was about 19, 20, maybe playing academy football at Chardon, and I went up and I was like, no, it's not about developing now. If you don't play well, that's you out of the team. And that was my first experience. And obviously to go into a relegation team with a lot of boys struggling in confidence, it was a, a big eye-opener and it was a, a great learning curve. You see, when, whenever you're playing at that age, and you're at that young age where you are still developing. And I'm sure mentally you're aware that you're still wanting to develop, wanting to learn, wanting to get better, wanting to progress. But when you're in, in that mindset of, obviously you're looking at progressing yourself as a footballer, but you're also in that awkward position of every game's a must win. 
what's the fine line? What's the margin? Is there a gray area between those two sort of mindset issues? It's, it's very difficult because it's, football is a dirty business. It, and there's no, there's, it's, it's as nice as um, it looks on the outside. When you're actually in the middle of it and you see what happens, it is ruthless. And uh, like, for example, Neil Taylor, who went on to play for Wales, and I don't know where he's at now, he's at maybe at Aston Villa, was in that Wrexham team. And Neil was a young lad, same age as me and Ribs, Robert Gard coming in and playing. And we, and we thought, oh, he's a, he's a steady player. But Neil could have dropped out of football because of Wrexham and got relegated. And I don't know if Neil Taylor would have went on to have the career he would have had. And, and that's where, where the grey area is, the fine line of development is. Yes, um, it's, it's all about development for young players and obviously hoping that they improve. But if they end up in a bad situation or if they end up in a club that is not developing on the pitch, they could fall out of the game as well, naturally. So it's, it's, it's very difficult. And that's why, obviously, when, when we're talking about football and the fine margins, and it's the fine margins and players that, you know, I mean, some go on to play at a very high level, some fall out, out of the game, some maybe find their level. But it's, it's so difficult. And, and, and that's why, referring back to what we were talking about previously, sometimes I think keeping them players at home until they're men, until they're fully developed, it's easier to manage. When they're in England, cutthroat. Alan Pardew came in one week, see me train a couple of times, brought me into his office. Michael, you're released. There's a check next door. Um, thank you. Uh, and I was like, did I come in the train ground tomorrow? No, you don't come in the train ground tomorrow. And I was like, and it's just like complete hurt and embarrassment. I was like, so that's me done. <laughs> I kind of asked him. And he was like, I think he looked at me. He's at the same flip me. Are you stuck here? Do you know what I mean? He's like, yeah, that's, that's you done. And that was it. And that's, that is cutthroat. Like that is literally what it's like. It's not like, you know, oh, we'll keep an eye on you and we'll give you a phone call and we'll ring you up, make sure you're feeling all right and everything's okay and things like that. It's just, no, not good enough out the door. And, and that is something that, footballers and, and you see it happens to more players than anything else the release releasing the players and getting rid of players and it's just the fine fine margins that could determine your career in terms of where you'll end up playing so um yeah it's it's, it's difficult it's a it's a tough tough profession but it's one that i think all players know what they're getting involved in but when the penny does drop nobody is prepared for it and if anybody says they are i think they're lying i think it is very very difficult to handle and i know i struggled emotionally with it as well when i was released and, and things like that so to me it's, it's it's definitely something that um sticks with you for the rest of your life the interesting thing with with yours is you left sort of the pressure of wrexham which was you know staying up and battling relegation you came home, signed for Linfield, which had another enormous pressure with it, but a different type of pressure. And this was the pressure of expectation and trophies. Tell me a little bit about leaving, um, but leaving uh, Wexford and uh, coming home, signing for Linfield, meeting David Jeffrey, the expectations and everything that goes in all in all involved with that move back across home. Yeah, it was, it was Brian McLaughlin was the assistant manager at Olympic, still assistant manager with David Darren Ballamy at the minute. It was brilliant. He, he was on the phone to me when I was at Wrexham and he was ringing me. He, he would have rang me every Thursday night. So Olympic always trained, obviously, on Thursday night. So Brian would have rang me afterwards. So I knew the call was coming. So I'd be sitting there and, and me and Robert Gard shared a house in Wrexham and he'd ring and he was brilliant. He just sat and talked to me about an hour for an hour every night. And he didn't talk to me about football or about how um, I was playing. He just talked to me about 
life in general. It was great. He was actually really enjoyable to talk to. I actually think I ended up, he ended up trying to get off the phone more for me than I did trying to get away from him because it was nice to talk to someone <laughs> back on my football. But at the end of the phone call, he always would have said, and how's things? Are you enjoying it? Are you coming home? <laughs> and I would have went, I am, I don't know. I'm, I'm enjoying it at the minute. And I'll see. And he goes, right, well, if you come home, we're always here for you. You know what I mean? You've got my number. And that was the situation. I actually ended up going to Hamilton with a very good friend of myself, childhood friend, Andy Waterworth. We were at Hamilton. We ended up there together and I did pre-season there, but it wasn't going to be. So I made the phone call. Brian reached out and I was home and my dad and we, oh, classic. We, uh, come with Albert Linfield, want to speak to us here and we'll go down and meet them. And, um, my dad, I suppose my dad, me and dad went to the same school, I was in Con Kills and, we obviously grew up maybe like in our school in the Common Kills, a Gaelic background and, and things like that. And my dad was like, David Jeffries, no. And he goes, Well, we'll just see that. We'll see this one. We'll, we won't give anything away and all. Don't, he goes, We're not saying anything. We're just going down to have a chat with him and all. And I go, Dad, all right, all right. And so we're driving down and my dad's like talking away. And he goes, like, You know, you know, um, then if it's a big club and all, but they've got their, their history and all. And big Davey, you know, beating the drum and all, and all up against the fans. And I'm sitting there going, Yeah, yeah, dad, yeah, and all. Not my dad would never would ne- never bother him. Like he was just like saying, like, you know, we- we'll play it strong ball. We'll go in here and we won't give too much away and all. We literally walked through the door in the David Jeffries office and I've n- my dad melted like it like he folded like a deck of cards. He like Davy put his arm out and goes, Come here, you and he pulled him into his chest and he kissed him on the forehead. I'm sitting, there, I'm sitting looking at my dad and he's like he's like a teenager he's, he's went all weak and trembling and he, he didn't know what to say and I'm like I looked at him felt like saying dad I thought he said play it play hard to get he had us in the palm of his hands and he, he he just he spoke to me he knew all about my career he knew all about my youth because I obviously played with his son TJ at St Andrews he didn't talk about contracts or money he walked me around Midsea Park I've seen all the the stadium he walked me around and then he brought me back up to the office and says, this is what we're thinking. This is what all the players at Linfield get. And that's what it was like at Linfield. There was a transparency about how much money everybody got. It wasn't like, you know, you might get this or you get that. He goes, well, I'll tell you exactly what this player gets and this player gets and that player gets. I was just like, this guy's incredible. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I love him. He's like a big teddy bear. He goes, I just want to hug him again. And um, he, he, that was it. We signed on that day, and I remember driving home. And me and my dad didn't really speak for the first ten minutes. We're just like, "Wow!" We both just turned around at the same time. And went, "Wow, that was amazing!" And to this day, I still look back at it and laugh and and think, "I was so lucky to have someone like that." You know, because a lot of boys come home and maybe don't get that phone call straight away. But Davy was there, brought me in, and I literally fell in love with him and the club and and the players and the squad and. And things they got there, so um, I still I still have a laugh with my dad about that. No, what he says about playing hard to get. No, I say, oh, I, I always remember you playing hard to get with David Jeffries when he kissed him in the forehead. But uh, <laughs> no, that was that was fantastic, and I went on to have obviously some of the best moments there as well. So it was it was a great move. Well, tell me about those moments because you won leagues and cups there, and as I mentioned earlier, the expectation level, you know, the pressure, um, at Wrexham was avoiding relegation, staying up. The pressure at Linfield was you win trophies. And I said this quite a few times to different players who've played for Linfield. It's almost like playing for Rangers and Celtic because you're. it's not acceptable to lose a game of football. And the only team that potentially could beat you would be your nearest rivals. But then you can't lose that either because of the rivalry. <laughs> you know, it's just Absolutely. sort of that unacceptable to lose in a sense. 
Uh, what's that expectation like at Linfield? Not only from the fans, because the fans have that expectation, but the players, the manager, the changing room. For you guys as players in that changing room, are you just like, guys, this is Linfield, we have to go out and win? What's the mentality like, you know, going out to play football for Linfield? Oh, I, I did a I did a podcast, um, I think with, with Skin Little, I remember answering a similar question to this, and then I put it out on, the change, the kind of words of it came out wrong, and I put it on Twitter, and I think all the Linfield fans thought I was having a pop at them at, at Linfield, and I would <laughs> never, I would never do that. I said, I said something along the lines of, I'll, I'll try and get it right this time, so <laughs> I was like, when you won a league at Linfield, it was relief. You literally, your legs were gone because they're long, hard seasons. You were mentally wrecked. The pressure of every game, you were drained. In your last five matches of the season, I'll never forget, you're literally running around on an empty tank um, and an emotion of nearly getting across the line. And you win the league. And it's kind of like, yes, we won the league. Relief. And you breathe. And then the chairman maybe walked in and says, well done, well done, well done. That's the Linfield way. That's the Linfield way. And it was just like expected of you. And I and it was more like, oof, we didn't mess up on the league. We won the league kind of thing. And don't get me wrong, we had some amazing parties and celebrations and things like that there. I'm not saying it's some of the best times ever, trips away after a one league. But it was a weird feeling. And the only way I can describe it was like, it wasn't euphoria where you thought, oh, it was just like, it was just like a weight came off your shoulders. But the weight only came off your shoulders for two weeks before you knew you'd be ready for next year. And that's what I was trying to say. At Linfield, it was completely and utterly expected of you. Because say if we went out in the first game of the season and played Lisbon Distillery and drew nil-nil, our fans would have been booing us off the pitch. <laughs> and like it, The fans were absolutely ruthless. They still are to this day. And it's something I laugh at. I laugh at when I go back to Windsor. It's disappointing not to be there. But like, Linfield could be top of the league by 10 points. And they're winning three 0 and somebody gets away a pass, and you see about four men run down, like almost jump out of their seats, bah! and they lose their head, kind of thing. It was just like the Linfield mentality was: you win, you beat everybody in your way, and you have to win. And it was, I loved it; I bought into it. Don't get me wrong; I really enjoyed it. And I suppose I was one of them players that I didn't care what the fans were saying or, or things they got there. I've seen other players completely and utterly buckle under the pressure of Linfield, and it was interesting and. It's not something that I say proudly in terms of I didn't, in terms of like feel that. I just always wondered what was going through their heads because you go to grounds, like especially the ground I'm at the minute, Dungannon, Stagmore Park, like your family, like your fans are basically on the pitch with you. You know what I mean? They're that close to you, whatever they say you hear. And I, and I just think I've seen a lot of players buckle under that pressure of, of Linfield, but yet they go to other clubs and they're fantastic and they do really, really well. Then they go to like a, maybe like a Linfield or a Glen Thorne and they, the, the fans get up, turn on you and they struggle to deal with that. But for, for us at Linfield, we had to deal with our own fans who could be very critical when they needed to be. David Jeffries that didn't obviously accept standards, but our changing room was like, poof, it was like a prison. Like if you let, if you, if you, like there were standards set in that change room and if you didn't abide by them, you know, I mean, the change room dealt with you more than David had to step in. And then we had every other, David Jeffries did this very well. Every other club we went to hated us. So we had to take on them and their fans kind of thing. So there was so much. And then the journalists who couldn't wait to have a pop at Linfield, perhaps, maybe. Because, you know, if we won leagues, we should be winning leagues. But if we're not winning, wow, 
Like I remember David Jeffrey's job was under pressure. Next thing, there's BBC vans. Everybody's down at all our matches and the pressure's just mounting and mounting and mounting. And it was just something that I loved. I really enjoyed it. But as I said, some players didn't. But that's that was, to me, the difference between Linfield and anywhere else. It was that if you couldn't deal with the pressure off the pitch, then there was no chance you want to deal with it on the pitch. But to win the leagues was the best day of your life. And looking back, I'm very lucky to win three at Linfield and, three, and the, the doubles as well. The Irish Cups along with that. The league, we usually did well in the Irish Cup because I think we were relaxed that the league was over. And that momentum brought us onto the Irish Cup. But winning leagues is so difficult. And, and looking at nine, I'm looking at the Irish League nine, I'm looking at the boys that we played against Korea at the weekend there from Ghana. And I can tell already they're getting close. But I'm looking at their squad and they're wrecked and they're probably pushing on now and they know how close they are to Linfield. It's a big mental challenge and it's a big push. And it's whoever's got the strongest mentality that will go on and win that league. And, and that's something that we pride ourselves on at the times at Linfield was the under pressure up against it, going across the different clubs. You know what I mean? We held our own and that's what made that victory even better. And it's something that league titles, you don't even look back on and think, Wow, what a campaign. I suppose, and obviously this is then no disrespect to Crusaders. When I went to Crusaders, it was completely different in terms of, I wasn't there the first year they won the league. Billy Joe Burns was there and Billy Joe Burns rang me and goes, this is incredible. This is completely different. Like we've been partying here down at Seaview. We've got a big tent out over the pitch and all and all the fans ring singing songs together and things like that there. And I was just like, wow, do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. And probably similar to the time Cliftonville in the league against us. They went mental for two weeks, partying and celebrating and things like that there. I suppose at Linfield, we enjoyed it, yes, but we knew what was expected of us. And it was almost like, all right, you won the league, you won the cup, but you didn't win the countdown from Shield that year. You didn't win the <laughs> CIS Cup. You know what I mean? And you didn't get far into the Tanta Cup, so you'll never be as good as the clean sweep team. And that was always held against us I think so we were always compared to the clean sweep team which was unbelievable but um, I think that was the different mentality whereas when we won a league of Crusaders it was completely different it was like wow this is amazing it was like like I remember Crusaders you seen fans crying you know what I mean you seen fans come up to you like in the pub afterwards and talking to you like they knew you like they, they, they couldn't believe it and all, and they were thanking you and all like really getting emotional and saying things like this means so much to us and all. Thank you very much. I was like, wow. I'm not used to this because kind of at Linfield, it's maybe a bit more like the fans are like, fans are, had no problems with fans like at Linfield, but they were like, brilliant and all. Next year we're going to win it again and all. What about beating the Glens and all and that? Whereas Crusaders, to me, it was a bit more like, Phew. I remember Stephen Baxter and all getting emotional and all and things like that. So it, it, was, it was interesting to see winning leagues at two different clubs, both great clubs and, and well run, obviously. But, I think that the feeling is slightly different. Like I'm not going to lie about that, but I love both feelings, to be honest. Um, and I suppose it's it's something looking back on now that you know what I mean. It's you'd love to win as many leagues as you can. Like and I, and I think back to the likes of Winky Murphy and Noel Bailey. He's one of the greatest that I ever ever seen in terms of how he managed to, himself at Linfield. Wow, it's, it's, they're, they're, it's really incredible. Like you're 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 right because I remember. The first year that we won the league under Stephen Baxter, 2014-15 season, we had a really good run from sort of Boxing Day onwards. But we beat the Reds and Linfield, you know, over that Christmas period. But I still was like, I'm not sure we can win the league. And it was the 6-0 home win against Portadown in February that yeah. made me think we can actually win this league. And I lost my voice that night just because of how, <laughs> like, 
uh, just going crazy that we're actually going to win this league. And just the you're right in terms of the mentality of the difference, especially at that stage for, for Crusaders. But your time at Linfield with the leagues and doubles and cup doubles and count the under-shade wins and all and on and on it goes. But do you have a favourite trophy out of the many that you won at Linfield? And if Ooh. so, why? Yeah, it was... Let me see. What is that? I was looking at. Um, I think it was the. I got a bad injury, I in one of, in my groin, one year, and it was near the end of the season. And we went on and won the league, and I missed a few games near the end of the league. And my contract was up, and we were under pressure, obviously, next year and and things like that. And I remember David Jeffrey saying, "Look." Um. The full-time football is going on right now, so we're changing the contracts kind of thing. Um, you've missed a lot of football, my God. So this is the contract, one off your year. And I was like, right, okay. You know I mean? A year for a player, you know I mean? It's not a big confidence booster. But he says, look, the reason I'm giving you a year is because I want to reassess it at the end of the year. Get your head down, work hard kind of thing. And I kind of took that as a challenge. And then that year I went on to have like a great, a, a really enjoyable year with Linfield. But I remember I took that year very personal because I wanted to prove David Jeffries cleverly did it. He, he kind of like put a character at the same. Well, if you go out this year and do well for me, I mean, the contracts are free next year kind of thing. And I remember going out that year and, and we were fantastic. And um, that winning that league that year to me meant so much because I suppose for myself, missing out in the first year, you know, with that groin injury and missing the big games. And I remember sitting in the stands watching them. It was difficult to get that feeling. But when I went out in that second year and won that league, it kind of then for me, confirm that obviously that yeah you know you kind of belong here and 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 because you always doubt yourself like any football all the best footballers do they question themselves every week if they're good enough but that their season for confirmation for me that yeah this is this is it and then after that he offered me a three-year contract so personally i really enjoyed that enjoyed that moment obviously winning the league and then i the thing i loved about winning leagues wasn't i think craig mclean said it a, a few times as well in his was europe like i was obsessed with playing in europe and I know some people over here take Europe as a, maybe a glorified pre-season friendly or, or something like that. See, to me, when you're playing in the European competition, the Champions League and, and the Europa League, that was incredible. And I know obviously we're never going to, we knew we weren't going to win them. Like, <laughs> but it was that feeling of representing, you know what I mean, your club in Europe against the best players globally, to me, were, were real, real special moments. And, and, I, and I was very lucky to score in European games and, I think scoring the Champions League games and Europa League games, and then obviously the Champions League with Linfield, uh, Champions League with Crusaders as well. So I, I loved Europe and I love playing in them games and putting ourselves up against other clubs throughout the, throughout the uh, Europe. But that league title was special to me um, at Linfield. And then obviously we went on, that was the year, obviously, then go on and win the Irish Cup as well, the double, and finish off a great season and obviously and score the free kick in the final as well. So to finish that year on such a high, um, was fantastic and I look back and I've still got the shirt obviously and all and things like that there and that's probably the only shirt of frame because I look back and there's a time that yeah I thought I was thoroughly enjoying my football and I think it's probably in and around playing some of the best stuff as well for the club. Obviously the medals came alongside that which is also a nice little you know mom, uh, moniker I guess to go along with you know maybe your most enjoyable season or accepting that challenge and kind of proving that you you were good enough and you were able to get another contract and stuff with them. So those medals, the shirt, that season, obviously 
sticks out for you. And talking about the European games, you actually scored your debut goal for Crusaders away in the Champions League, which is always a good memory to have too. Well, yeah, that, that was that was probably, I remember Billy Joe Byrne said after the game, I probably wish that he never said it. He goes, see if you don't do anything ever again for Crusaders, you're already written yourself into the, the club folklore for scoring this goal. And I was like, please, you don't say anything now, just in case. But I was, it was the best. Obviously, I'd already scored in Europe with, with Linfield and against the Faroe Islands a couple of, couple of years in a row. I actually scored a few goals in, in Europe. And then I went to Crusaders and you go to a new club. And as I said, I played against them for years. I didn't know how I'd be received, if I'm being honest, because I suppose I was a bit different than Billy Joe Burns. I was a bit more in their faces and in, in, in battle with them in terms of playing the left, playing up against Coetzee, playing up against Daggy Cadell and Sean O'Neill and Gareth McKeown, like I remember playing Gareth McKeown in the cup finals and Davey McGowan and absolutely, like let's be honest, we detested each other on the pitch. Like, like there was no way about it. Like I used to think Colin Coach was the biggest thug ever in football. And I was thinking, like me and him used to, used to like, smash me and I remember he didn't mean, uh, got a bad injury against him and, and things like that. I went to Crusaders and I met Colin Coach and I was just like, wow, what a guy. Completely and utterly misread him. Completely different than what I thought so so well educated to start off with and clever and great player and a great leader but I remember him just coming over to me in the first night of training and just shaking my hands and just saying great to have you and that was it that was me after that after you kind of get the the captain's confirmation you know what I mean welcome to the club you kind of think okay let's go kind of thing and then we obviously played in the first European match and we drew and then I think it was drew nil nil and it was it was a warm evening at Seaview and there was pressure on me as well because you're the new player and new players, you always feel like I came from Linfield here and everyone's expecting big things. And I remember I had a good holiday that year and I came back and was maybe carrying a wee, bit of, <laughs> a wee bit of weight. I was like, oh no, here we go. So I wanted to score early on to kind of settle myself. So nil-nil, Stephen Baxter was happy and flew out to Tallinn in Estonia. What an experience that was. Like, like This is another thing about Linfield and I hope this doesn't come across wrong. When you flew with Linfield, you flew on these chartered flights and you had the football club players and you had this m- montage of board members and staff who travelled with you and that was it. And you flew out and there's maybe some fans that flew over on their own flights and, on, and that was fantastic. When you went with Crusaders... <laughs> the fans you, around you. You <laughs> went with the whole the shore road were around you. I got on the... I came from this mentality of like professionalism and, you know, standards I ain't getting on the plane I loved it I got on the plane with Crusaders Sean O'Neill's maybe got the cards the card school's happening there's a boys few boys it's six o'clock flight like you know and then the fans are drinking and they're singing songs on the flight out and I'm thinking this is flipping on this is brilliant this is unbelievable I actually relaxed straight into it because it took all the pressure off and you're just sitting there looking around you and you see these fans and they're just like it's just like so happy they're just like this is amazing like it's like they're going holidays and you think you're going out there to play a football match, you know, and you're thinking you're under pressure. And then you look at those fans and you think, let me, they've left. They probably took three or four days off work. They're flying over here. They're so excited. They're wearing their Crusaders shirts and, and they were just proud to be representing the club in Tallinn, out in Estonia. But we got out there and we trained. The stadium was lovely. And we obviously prepared, but like I had no idea what was coming in terms of the match. We, we, we obviously know in Europe that when you, you play teams at home, like at Linfield, we did really well against Bate, FC Bate. We drew 0-0 with Bate or 1-0 or 
And then there was the Limassol, Limassol games, like big clubs we were playing against, and we were holding them at home. Then you get out to their own country, and they absolutely turn into like, wow. <laughs> it was like a different, it was as if they sent over the reserves to play against you in the first leg. But you go out into their, their home turf, and they can't get close to them because they're that good. But this ta- this Levada talent team, they were well-organized, well-structured, and they were hard to break down. But I remember Paul Haley just drove, cut inside, and he just did this wee scoop up over the back four. And I've just seen him doing it. And, and to be fair, I hadn't played with Paul Haley, but I knew the quality of him. And if there's probably one player that you want, want in the ball to slip you through, it was probably Paul. And he, he just scooped it beautifully over. I remember running on him with my left foot. I was just like, wow. It was just when I hit the back of the net, it was just like, you kind of go to yourself, right? Brilliant debut goal, but could you have picked a better moment to do it? <laughs> because um, the club had just won the league the year before and you were at Linfield and you weren't part of them winning the league. But for them to go through a round in Europe, like in the change room after the game, I'll ne- it was it was one of the best experiences, most humbling experiences I've ever seen. Stephen Baxter tried his best to talk to all the players and the backroom staff and, and all the people. And, and he literally broke, just like literally broke down. He lost his voice. He lost his way. He couldn't even speak. He was just, obviously, he came into the Crusaders when they were fighting, relegated. You know, I mean, the club nearly folded. And then he was sitting in a stadium and they just qualified through a round in the Champions League. And he literally was a broken man. He like, couldn't even talk. And I was just sitting there kind of like buzzing. I was so, so happy with myself because A, you got that relief, you scored. And then next thing, you were able to contribute straight away to the club. But I think the financial, financially, I still, I still crack jokes and say that new stand, that new bit to build. <laughs> I love that game from that European, that goal in Europe. So I, the, I the Michael Carvel stand <laughs> due to your goal. <laughs> I know the, the Roy is it the Roy McDonald's here? The guy goes big Roy should have given it, to me. <laughs> but no, unbelievable. And like, and then we went out that night and we went into an Irish bar, I'll never forget it. And I'm sure some of the fans will say it as well. And town, and I mean, the whole bar was filled with Crusaders fans. And I was just like, hang on a minute, there wasn't that many of you on our flight <laughs> out here. And then next thing, people were flew in and, and then everything there. And there's a, there's a famous big whipper. And he was in the middle of it, and they just were all singing and singing songs. And I had to sing on the stage as my initiation song. And um, no, it was it was an unbelievable experience, and something I look back fondly. And I, I like I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed my time at Crusaders. But I think that really really helped me settle within the club, and obviously develop great friendships and and love my time there. And the thing with that as well, you know, you said Billy Joe Burns joked around with you. If that's all you do, you're a legend. But <laughs> an- another thing that writ you into Crusaders folklore was the winning goal against the Reds. And um, being a Crusaders fan, I can't not have a little dig at Cliftonville whenever the opportunity <laughs> presents itself. But um, signing, for, <laughs> signing for Crusaders, um, David Jeffrey was leaving Linfield. Um, he, he left Linfield. Warren Feeney came in at the same time with Davey leaving. Michael Galt was leaving. Billy Joe Burns left to go to Crusaders. Robert Garrett, Mark McAllister, Chris Casement. Was there a big feeling at Linfield of like a, a changing of the guard? And what was sort of your your thinking at that stage with Davy leaving and Warren Feeney coming in? It was it was the toughest time I had at Linfield in terms of like I said about the change room. Our change room was close knit, like something like. Like you just mentioned there, like obviously Chris Casement, you know what I mean? I, I was on his wedding, you know what I mean? As groomsman, like, I mean, how close I was to Chrissy. Chrissy grew up in Arsenal, Arsenal, and his name Chris Casement was 
an incredible player. People, somebody I was very close to. Billy Joe Burns, um, still to this day, one of my best mates. Speak to him every other day. We literally formed a bond at that club that was like, you know what I mean? We all looked out for each other. And when a manager came in and kind of um, upset that, I'm not going to lie, I struggled to deal with that at the very start. And I suppose I can say it now. Yeah, I'll say it, I'll say it then. I'll say it now. The biggest mistake Linfield made in that, that stage was getting rid of so many experienced winning winners at the same time and not giving the club enough time to rebuild. And like the Billy Joe Burns, for me, the Billy Joe Burns one was the, was the biggest suicide I've ever seen a club do and will ever do in RIC football. It, the only way I could explain it would be like, you know, almost like flipping Liverpool, hand in Man City, one of their be- their best assets, or, you know what I mean? Like, like Billy Joe Burns was incredible. Maybe not, didn't get the same appreciation at Linfield as he does at Crusaders, what he deserved to get because the standards at Linfield you know, I mean, fans expected so much more and things like that. Billy Joe was incredible. Like to me, what he was and is probably the, the best right back I've ever played with, probably the best in the league. When he went the Crusaders, that was it. That was that was all Crusaders need to tip the tide. And he his quality, I think, really pushed them on. He still he obviously still carries that today. But I I struggled with the club a wee bit, obviously, initially. I, I wasn't happy. Um Warren Feeney came in, he, he was a young manager, I suppose. He, like, Michael Galt was our captain and he kind of chopped Galtie. And like, Galtie, is, and I heard his podcast last week, was fantastic. Galtie's one of the most loved men in RIC football, you know what I mean? Like, the man knew everybody. He was well-respected. He was hard. He loved the club. And he just felt like he was kind of let down by the club in those stages. And I could, I could understand why. And along with that, then the likes of Martin McCaster continuously scored goals for us and was a big player for us. Um, stepped up in big games and all like these are all boys that we'd formed so many good relationships with and they like they were winners they won games of football they knew how to win games of football they were proven RIC players and they were by no means coming like finished but you know the club had other ideas and I suppose they went they went with that Um, but it it did leave a bit of a sour taste in my mouth and and Warren came in with Andy Todd and they brought in their own players and I think and, and this is something I look back at now and I think I, I look at clubs maybe Warren didn't know the league he didn't understand the league like we did I suppose being there for so long he didn't really understand what those players were and I'm sure Warren probably looks back himself and probably thinks or maybe would have done things slightly different because in his first season obviously it was the year Crusaders went to win the league and we were nowhere near it like I think we were, we were miles of it um, and things like that and then obviously the following year I think he left Um midway, I think, at the start of the season. He started, had a good run at the start of the season, but I think, looking back at it, I think Linfield made a mistake, uh, like a few mistakes there. Um, now, don't get me wrong, they were able to rectify them further on down the line when they go out and sign players, but it took them a while to build that team and develop them that we had. So, looking back at me, it was very difficult, and it was it was a time that, under Warren Finney, I started off, and he played me in, in Europe, and I scored in both legs in the Europa League as well that year, and started off well with him. <clears throat> and then there was a dip where he took he took me out of the team and he took Jimmy McGrew out of the team as well, I think, at the stage. And, and you look at Jimmy McGrew coming out of the Linfield team, you think it's madness. And, he, um, and Jimmy had to prove himself all over again to, to Warren. And I think near the end of the season, then I, I got into the team and started enjoying it. But I think all, I think all the clubs kind of realised that my contract was up. I wasn't playing as much. And, and, and they all, to be fair, 
I mean, all the teams reached out to me, but Stephen Baxter was the first to to do it, and probably I hope I don't think it was illegal what he did, but <laughs> we we met and, and and had a discussion as well, and I kind of said, look, I obviously want to stay at Limpia, but you know, I, mean, I don't know what's going to happen here at the end of the year, so it's it's nice. I really appreciate it and really flattered by that, but just the way Stephen spoke to me and was very honest and open and and things like that, and the great Tommy Bresson as well. I met Tommy, what a man. Um, and things and, and he had a great conversation with me and, and, and there was other clubs Glenn Ferguson was at the Ballymena manager at the time and I don't think he, he wanted he wasn't too happy and then the most awkward one was obviously when Glenn Torn came in for me that was the one that was very difficult and I was approached and the, it, it was it was something I looked at and then they were like to be fair to Glenn Torn they put all their cards on the table for me to get me to go to the club but it was just something that I, I didn't feel right to me Um probably because of my allegiance to David Jeffries and, and, and probably going across to Glen Thorne and, and what it would have been perceived and, and things like that. So when it came to making the decision to leave Linfield, it was, it was taken out of my hands because I finished the season really well and went on a great run. And Warren Finney basically said, look, there's a contract here, there's a contract here, there's a contract here, hold out. But the contract never materialised, never came. And I think they sang Guy Bates on the... Right, yeah. Yeah, straight away, and I was just like, right, okay, so that's me then, kind of thing. And the the club really, you know, and kind of didn't confirm or deny. And and I was just like, right, well, that's me leaving the club then. And then I think a few of the chairman, the, the people on the board of the club, gave me a phone call and thanked me for my time and tried to explain to me as football and things like that. There, and I suppose a wee bit of me was like, all right, well, that's okay, no problem. And I, I was a wee bit, you know, I mean, it was, it was, a, it wasn't a nice way to, to finish at a club that you had so many good memories. But I was prepared for it because I seen what Billy Joe Bur- happened to Billy Joe Burns, Michael Galt, Martin Castor, and all these boys. So I mean, I kind of seen the way it materialised for them. So when it came to it for me, I suppose I was prepared. Obviously, very lucky to have a um a lot of admirers in terms of managers who were keen to sign me, and then obviously the when Stephen reached out and, and obviously Billy Burns was on the phone obviously to me saying I'd love it and things like that then I was delighted to obviously then go to Crusaders and I suppose that's how it happened but but looking back you know what I mean it's interesting because you just you just don't know what would have happened if you know I mean circumstances would have been different but for me in terms of I wanted to go to another club and I, I remember saying it I remember saying it when the first interview I want to win things and Linfield fans I think a few Linfield fans kind of thought the nicest way possible. I seen them writing on. I seen them writing because I knew I was signing for this, but social media and I and footballers do read social media. Believe <laughs> All the Liverpool fans were saying like, "Oh, you're probably signing for Balamina or or maybe something like that." And that's no disrespect, disrespect of Balamina whatsoever. It was a great club, but I wanted to go to a team that was going to challenge because I still felt I was at the right age and things like that. So when Crusaders just won the league and I knew what they were trying to do, it was it worked out brilliantly for me. And obviously to go there and play in the Champions League and win two more titles and, and be part of a great, great team. And obviously the building of a, the full-time model as well within Crusaders, it was, uh, it was fantastic for me. And it was, it was something now looking back on, it was just meant to be. And that's why I want to go back to Linfield. There's, there's no hard, hard luck stories or I still speak to everybody at the club and I still hold myself. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not one of these players that's going to go out and say something on social media or perhaps even, you know what I mean? Go back to the club and celebrate in front of the fans. And all. I just enjoy, I suppose, playing football and, I was delighted to then start doing that with Crusaders. I think looking back at that Linfield, you know, list of players they released all at once, um, to me it always felt like a bit of a panic because of how strong Cliftonville were under Breslin. But whenever Liam Boyce left, they were obviously going to hit a bit of a dip. 
and Crusaders were building and sort of that North Belfast two that were challenging each other for a league for those maybe was three seasons. I think Linfield came second in Cliftonville, second title title win. But letting them all go at once, as you said, the experience, the close, the close bonds that you guys all had together. And the thing for me, looking at it too from the outside, I, I was sort of thinking to myself, we really needed a right back and we were kind of there, thereabouts without actually winning the league. And we needed a right back and we just got the best one in the league, which directly hurt a, another title rival. And then with Galt, McAllister, Chris Caseman and Garrett all going to Portadown, me looking at it from the outside, I was sort of going, you're just directly strengthening teams that want to challenge you for a league title. And just looking back, I thought it was really mad at the time. And just he- hearing your thoughts on it, it sort of just sort of confirms yeah. to me what I was thinking at this time. <laughs> and, and, this is, and, and you just hit the nail on the head because we, we played Portadown twice that year and I never get it. And, and, we, and Warren Finney signed a few boys from England. And they came into our dressing room and we were all like, oh, this boy plays, it plays in England. This boy, you know, man, he's going to be a player. And I'm like, they came up and we went out and played against Portadown. And Portadown bullied us, destroyed us. Galtay, McAllister scored. Galt was everywhere. Ribs, Robert Guard controlled the game. Chris Caseman was brilliant. We lost to them twice. We lost to Crusaders. And, I, and like, I was in the change room. And it was probably me, um, looking back, more grew. Um, and, and other players, obviously, thinking like Andy Waterford signed for us. So Andy was going through that turnover period and we were kind of like saying like but them players should still be at Linfield <laughs> it was kind of a frustration thing because we knew and then we had to go out and represent the club and, and we did and we went out and did our very best don't get us wrong but it was kind of like you know I mean those players were not done by no means and you've seen that first time with Billy Joe Burns and the rest of the boys that poured it down there was years left in them as well and I think obviously they were just the Anybody that was out of contract that year was under trouble because a new manager wanted to come in and put his own stamp on it. And I've seen managers do it before in fair play, but I think it was different with that group of players because they were good lads, they were honest, and they were still capable of playing. They're the top players in the league. So to lose so many at one time was tough, and we really struggled that year. And I, and I do put that down to knowing the league and Irish league players and, and things like that. And as you say, Billy Joe Burns was the final piece of the jugs, jigsaw. And then that ported down team took, I think they took six points off us and knocked us out of the Irish Cup. <laughs> so, you know, we, we kind of um, learned quickly that, you know, boys come across from England and, and, and things like that, you know what I mean? Don't always set the, lead, set the league alight. And it's a tough, tough, tough league to play in. And I think when you look at the likes of Lauren, even nowadays, you know what I mean? Players coming in, so many players coming in, maybe not just quite hitting the ground running. It's a lot more difficult than it looks, probably on TV in terms of that as well. So, um, no, that 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 was disappointing for us, and it definitely led Crusaders on to obviously more titles and, and things like that. But in a way, I suppose that that that's football, and, and that's the nature of football. And um, you, you you'd think that maybe the Linfield board or committee probably look back at that and probably do regret those decisions. I've never actually heard them ever come out and saying it. Um, it probably it would kill them too much to do so, but. Yeah, I think that was a mistake on, on behalf of the club to let so many players go at once. Yeah, absolutely. Because that Portadown team, and you mentioned it, you know, six points off you that season. They actually took nine from Crusaders. The only time we beat them was a 6 0. They beat us on Easter Tuesday. They beat us at Seaview twice before Christmas. And yeah. it was really, really crazy. And as you said, you know, Garrett controlled the game and Galtley was just everywhere, destroying, destroying players. And it was easy for them at that sort of stage. But mm-hmm. when you joined Crusaders, you talked about your friendship with Billy Joe Burns. and 
in my opinion, Dermot O'Carroll came in and he was a massive asset to us as well, having come from Cliftonville. Again, you heard a title rival and you've added someone with a bit of experience of winning leagues. And then Billy Joe Burns, you take the best right back in the league and really was the missing piece, I think, for Crusaders that season to go on and win the league. And it it showed. And then that relationship with Gavin White began to blossom that season. And Gavin's sort of debut season, all the pieces kind of fell together at once. Whenever... Um, you were signing for Crusaders and coming in. You mentioned earlier the sort of the hatred between the two groups of players at that time and the fierceness of the rivalry. You mentioned you were a little bit apprehensive about coming in, but Coatsy came up to you first training session. Glad you're here. And that sort of took off. Was there any other players on that team you were a bit maybe concerned, worried about, about when you signed for Crusaders or did Billy Joe pretty much ease those fears for you coming in? Yeah, Billy, obviously Billy, Billy Joe was brilliant when he was uh, obviously kind of, me and him were like room buddies when we went away with Linfield and things like that there and shared so many experiences in life together that when I went across, I think they already knew half the stories because Billy Joe probably told them most of the stories about me coming across as well, so it kind of eased me in a wee bit. But the, you had to, like, like I played with Sean O'Neill, obviously, through Northern Ireland. I was like, Sean O'Neill, like everyone knows Sean O'Neill, you know. As soon as you walk in, you know, in Linfield, this, Linfield, and all these wind you up, but what a brilliant welcome you into the team and, and things like that there and made you feel very comfortable. Jackie Cadell, I'll never forget it. We played, this I knew there was something wrong. We played Crusaders. Crusaders just won the league and we played them at the Oval. I forget why I was playing at the Oval. I don't know right. why. You scored that one, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I scored that one and I was laying on the ground right in front of our dugout. And Dagi Adele did a Dagi Adele thing. <laughs> like, I love Dagi, but he just like <laughs> stepped over me, but his studs accidentally caught my stomach and he kind of like, drove his studs into my, into my leg and down my, slid them down my leg. And Warren Finney lost it. And Warren Finney shouted, I can still remember that. Warren Finney shouts on, he goes, remember that? Remember he did that, do you know? I'm looking at him like that. And Dagi Adele said sorry to me. <laughs> and, I, and, and see, when he said sorry to me, I went, oh no. Billy Joe, they've been talking about me going to Crusaders here because Decky Adele never said sorry. I actually felt a bit scared when he said sorry. I was actually more worried. I prefer him if he didn't say sorry. But as soon as he said that, I kind of knew that, you know, he was aware that I was in talks with the club and if, if I didn't sign my contract at Linfield, I was going to go across to Crusaders. But when I went across, Declan, same again on the pitch. You know what I mean? Decky would run through a brick wall and, and stamp on you if he needs to. But what an off the pitch gentleman. Absolute gentleman, and obviously we've seen all the, the ogres and Daddy Cadell social media trail and all the things that did and all, and we kind of obviously kind of spurred up a lot of Linfield fans and things like that there. But when you're in the change room with them, they were all fantastic. And then people like Richard Clark, what a guy, what a footballer, Dermot O'Carroll, obviously I ended up working with the Irish FA, and obviously you know, in great experience as well. Craig McLean to me, and probably bore the tears that everybody's saying it. in terms of a professional player an old school player Craig McLean's mentality was nailed on perfection the only man I know that still probably goes to bed at half nine on a Friday night tucks up in his bed by himself gets up and cleans his boots has his breakfast you know what I mean gets down to the match early stretches and things like that they're a proper proper professional like people like him brilliant it's amazing what perception of football does yeah I looked at all them players and I'm playing against them I thought I don't really like them just because obviously the hatred, they hated us and we hated them. Then I go into the change room before you know it. You know, I mean, I couldn't say a bad word about any of them. And I was obviously even Coatsy, the amount of run-ins we had to get there, what a leader he was in, in terms of a player, fantastic. And I think he was like, you know, what I mean, in terms of, of what he done for the club at Crusaders was phenomenal. 
in terms of um, big games and the amount of times I've seen Concord step up as well. So I, I can't say, I, I can honestly say hard, there wasn't one player that, you know what I mean, I had a bad experience with the Crusaders and then the class of Paul Heatley and Gavin White as well. And big chicken teamers. How can you forget big big Jordan Owens? Is just just frightening what they did. And what I liked about them was they were honest. They knew that the way they wanted to play and they played that way. And the, the, there was no graces about them. That's what they did. And the setup off the pitch, Stephen had the club well run in terms of the, the coaching staff and, and Jeff, Charlie, and all the all the the people there. And you played pool and all before the game. There was toast and all. And it was a real, real family club, a real good feeling about it at that time. And the crack was fantastic off the pitch. And I think that's so important when you're going for league titles is to have that bit of fun and enjoyment. Because I think the Cliftonville team, that did brilliant. You could tell by their social media, they were loving playing together. And they had a great team bond. And then you look at our Linfield teams, the one leagues, we loved being together, enjoyed each other's company, loved it. That's the exact same thing that Crusaders had. And that's why they went through that period of being so successful. And are continuing, obviously, to push now and, and hopefully stay in that successful transition at the minute because it's getting more difficult because there's so many other teams now that are there challenge. But um, no, in terms of squad, fans, I had a I had a great time at Crusaders and it was it was just one of them ones. It was the, the natural move to my career in terms of progression. It was it was time to go, but I, I couldn't say a bad word about the club or anybody still involved in it. Yeah, absolutely agree. That time period for Crusaders, I sort of look at 2009 to 2019 as like our golden era in terms of won a League Cup, two Irish Cups in there, a couple of league titles, three league titles, County Andrew Shields, the the All-Ireland, of course, in 2012, which was, I was that, that, I was nervous walk on even to watch that match, given the hammering that Linfield gave us the week before in the Irish Cup final. But that Crusaders, <laughs> that, that 10-year decade is, for me, is just that golden era of, of, of Crusaders. And obviously you had such a major role playing playing a part in that you know with with you know the league title wins and and uh, the other everything else that went involved in that and one player I want to ask you about and it's a player that I, I felt had a major impact at Crusaders in the one season he was there but no one's really ever really talked about him in terms of what what's he like Brian Jensen tell me a little bit about big Brian oh Brian yeah wow the, the thing with Brian Jensen which, which I liked about him and I think this was a, this was a big thing as well for Crusaders was he kind of came in and we were like, Brian Jensen, you know what I mean? And we all Googled his career and started watching him save penalties against premiership players and all things like that there. But it was around the same time Linfield had Roy Carroll. And I remember it was kind of like, see when you're in the tunnel <laughs> and you're representing Crusaders and you're representing Linfield and you looked across and I seen a lot of boys I played with and we were tight like in terms of, you know what I mean? There was good players on both sides. But we seen Brian Jensen and Roy Carroll stand beside each other. You look at them three going, there's two giants, almost, do you know what I mean? <laughs> in terms of experience of what they've achieved and the way they handled themselves as well. But I remember Brian was just like, you know what I mean? He came in and the man, I don't know how the man played football. I swear to God, see when he, see when he, he was on before a match, he was getting injected. He was in pain. He was in agony. They were trying to, because he was in so much muscular injuries as well throughout his career and diving on him. But he, he just brought this to the club a wee bit more like, you know, there's Brian Jensen. It was just a wee bit more belief, I think. It was just a wee bit more inspiration to have someone like that behind you. And I think that's the exact same thing that happened to Linfield with Roy Carroll. You kind of, as a defence, if you ask, like, I suppose, the back four, and you're going, you're as a team, you're set up defensively, and you know Brian Jensen's behind you, you get that wee bit of a, 
an extra 5%, that wee bit extra belief, and, and you can push high up the pitch and things like that there, and you trust your goalkeeper, definitely on set pieces and corners and things like that. But um, no, he came in and he was he was brilliant, and he, he really got amongst the lads, and he really enjoyed it. You could tell he really enjoyed his time here. He had a real, real good time. And um, like at that time, Crusaders, you know what I mean, the facilities weren't perfect. Like, you know what I mean, there was the, the club was still being developed, but I remember like the old B room used to play pool in and Brian Jansen was coming. It was just, you probably know it, the back of the CV bar, there was a pool table, an old jukebox and a, a TV up in the corner. And it was still the old club, basically. And all the old pictures were on it. The, old, the, the chairs set up. But we used to go in there before a match. We used to meet an hour before the match and play games of pool, have toast and things like that. Brian loved it. You know, Brian used to come flying in, come into it and couldn't wait to be a part of it. And I think it was... It, it worked out well for Stephen because he had that extra bit of experience on the pitch. Do you mean able to manage the back four and talk to the players around him? But off the pitch, like the boys loved being in his company and he, he was just a, a real honest big fella. And you wouldn't have thought he had the career he had just by the way he carried himself. So people like that are people, you, you actually, as you say, you forget the, the impact they had in football and what they did for the club as well. The save that won the league really at Balamina, you know, Forever, oh. forever in his debt for that one save alone. Oh. If that's if that's all they done, you know, as Billy Joe said to you about your goal in Europe, if that's all Brian Jensen <laughs> done for <laughs> Crusaders, I need a stand after him. I don't know what what a he was unbelievable. Ah, uh, yeah, unbelievable. And that Balamina, oh, you're talking about pressure. That Balamina game. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean that that was that was another relief moment actually because I think the club. And started to do well and they wanted more success as well. But that Balamina game, and obviously after the way we lost that league title, I still I still can't bring myself to watch that documentary they made about us. I still struggle to <laughs> I, I said to Thomas Niblock, I was that, that documentary, everyone says how good it is. It still haunts me to this day. Like it's like it's like slow motion of losing the league title. Um and uh it's something that you know I mean that we put right. And in term, and for me, that is the most probably important things about winning the league title. If you lose the league, if you lose it, can you then bounce back? And that team showed the most character I've ever seen in a team to win the league the following year. And how we did it was, was incredible because I'd say most teams after what you, obviously, Crusaders fans will never forget it, the, the, that day down in Balamina, what we went through. And uh, the misery of losing the league to Linfield. And God, my friend, he's, he's my best mate, obviously. Off Andy Waterworth, I, I was on his wedding. Um, I, a groomsman on his wedding. And uh, oh, still haunts me this day. He brought the Irish Cup in and the Irish League in trophy. I had to put them on the top table. And there's me sitting looking at the freaking Gibson Cup. And literally, as a Crusaders player at the time, we literally lost that by the skin of our teeth during that year. Um, and that's and obviously it was brilliant for Andy obviously the way he went on and finished the league that year but for me personally it was a real sickener because we 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 literally and I don't care what anyone says people talk to me about Linfield that year we threw it away and it's still there's some matches I look back at and think oh if only but that was a painful summer and it still pains me this day and I know the people like it still hurts that that, that, that happened and how it happened and Jeff Spears and I know Craig McLean and people like that, like that, that, that really rattled them. But to come back and win it the next year said more about the team, I think, than anything. So um, thank God we were able to do that because oof, I don't know, I still have sleepless nights over that year. Um, and that's, what, that's the beauty of football. That's what it does to you. It haunts you <laughs> when, yeah. when it doesn't go your way and, and things like that there. But 
there's there's obviously more lows than there is highs but then when you get the highs you, you have to try and look back and, and enjoy them because um that, that was amazing and obviously Bram was a big part of that yeah absolutely and the thing the thing with that as well after we lost the league at Balamina or what we we thought we'd lost the league at Balamina and then I already don't like Cliftonville because of my you know fan base <laughs> fandom of Crusaders and then Cliftonville next week went and gave us a little bit of hope and then Linfield oh, just snatched it away so it made me hate them even more I mean if you're going to go uh, if you're going to go a goal up see it out you know? <laughs> maybe yeah. I'll never, oh, forgive, I'll never I forgive them for that never I was go, like I'd go, rather go. just get beat 5-0 than go 1-0 up and go oh with a chance with a chance <laughs> I know it because that's how you say it because um, God rest his soul absolute legend of a man Tommy Breslin walked in he took over them for that last match of the year I'll never forget it and uh, he walked in. I was in the IFA working. I was in the IFA in our building. It was me, Dermot, and Andy Waters were there. And, and I shouted over, Rezzy, please, please. Like, and he goes, Sure, you didn't sign for me. And I went, Oh, Jesus, that's that. And he just cut me down, put it in. I laughed. I went, Fair play. But I remember I, play, I was playing, obviously, against Glen I th- actually, I'd scored two before half time. We were, I think we were 4 0 up, maybe, at half time. Yeah. 3 0 yeah. up or 4 0 up. And, uh, the fans were cheering when when the Crusaders fans were cheering when um, Daniel Hughes, I think it was, scored for Cliftonville. And I was just like, oh my God. And then at half time, I can still remember Paul Healy. Paul Healy was like an energizer bunny. He was like literally like shaking. He's like, we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna he was, was like, it was amazing. I was like, and we were like, no, 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 no. And I and I did it's easy to say it, but I had this real sickener feeling in your stomach. I just thought I could just I could actually just do, Picture solitude with the Linfield fans behind that goal. Linfield always attacked well in that goal. I mean, obviously Andy scored the hat trick and, and, and things like that. And and oh, it was it was heartbreaking. And I think, as you said, I remember actually, I think it was actually Johnny Tuffy was on the bench that day for Glen Anthony. He just says, "Clinvillers, uh, Linfield are three one up or something." And that was it. And we were just running about in the pits, and you knew you'd lost the league. But the most important thing, and something that if I ever do go into obviously coaching and management, I'll take from that. It's Steam Baxter straight after that game. The fans all came to the pitch and the fans were brilliant with us. We lost the league and the, no, like no fans were being out of, out of line. And Steam Baxter says, go and get yourself beers. Go and enjoy yourself. You've worked hard. You've been brilliant all year. Don't, don't worry. We'll win it next year. We'll put it right. And that was it. And that was, that was to me, very good management because he, he kind of said, look, we're sick. We're hurting. I don't need to, I don't need to tell you that I'm hurting you just know what we've done we'll put it right next year and that was it and then obviously to go on and do it the next year and I'm on the league back was, was fantastic but um, no definitely st- and, and that wedding I still don't forgive Andy Water for bringing like there was no need to bring the trophies in there. <laughs> I mean as much as as much as um, it it kills me like that it is funny that Andy done that it is very comical uh, but you know Cliftonville will always be on my list of enemies and Andy Waters water um, hat trick has added him to my list of enemies that he'll never be forgiven either. (laughs) Just in a a jokey way, of course. But um, what what I like to ask as well, we see when you're at Crusaders and you've, you've came in and you're meeting a lot of guys that you thought were maybe enemies on the pitch and Billy Joe Burns is there and then you've signed, and then in comes Philip Laurie, and in comes a man that I want to talk to you a little bit about, Sean Ward, and you've a little bit of a, a Linfield core, people with a Linfield background coming in, and that winning mentality and that mindset. What's that like for you, lads, coming in? You know, especially, you've all played together, and then you're now back together at another club that wants to challenge. Brilliant. It's, it's like, um, 
as I said, there when you make that friendship in football with people that are as hungry as you, they want to achieve like you. And Philip Laurie is one of them guys that got like I'm still very very close to Philly. Um, speak to him regularly. Um, I think obviously when he first came in the Crusaders, he came in and, and he struggled and they sleep just to get get his feet going or to get his burns going because he was Philly was working. Philly's a very intelligent and he was a, a pharmacist and he was working over in London. And he was flying in and back and in and it was so difficult for him. And then obviously he's now settled and he's, he's, he's proven how good he is. He's, he's one of the, the best centre midfielders in the league. But people like Philly, who I knew was quality, like even when he was going through a tough time, I was just like, do not worry about Philly Laurie. When Philly Laurie gets going here, he'll score goals. He'll, he'll drive the team on. He's got that mentality. It's, it's just something that around people you can trust because you've been in the trenches with them. And it's, it's such a cliche saying, but I've been in the trenches with Philly Laurie. I've been in the trenches with Sean Ward. I know what it's like. When things aren't going their way, they stick their, they stick their like shoulders back on the, the fight. You know what I mean? They're the kind of people you want in their dressing room. But most importantly, they're good lads as well. And they're, and they're intelligent. And in terms of the way they handle themselves off the pitch, I think that's very, very important. Like, you know what I mean? They're not going out ranting and raving on social media or, saying, or bringing the club into disrepute or anything they got there. They're good guys, and you need them in the change room. You, they're the, like Sean Ward's. We, like we still joked about this day. We've got a WhatsApp group. There's me, uh, Billy Joe, Andy Water, Michael Galt, Mark McAllister, and Robert Garrett. And, and Wardy's like the he's like thirty, whatever, thirty six, six going on ninety. He's like the old man in the group. He's just he looks after everybody. He's just like the the grander of the group kind of thing. But he's is he's funny. He's a good character. But in terms of professionalism and how he looks after people within that squad. He's the kind of person you want in your team. And there's no surprise to me why Gary Hamilton signed him for Glen Avon for that exact reason. Do you know what I mean? Because he came in, the, he's obviously went into Glen Avon this year and he just brings that experience and he's a, he's a good guy to be around and he, he's very positive. And, and, and that's what, as a manager, when you talk about managers signing players, I always felt that the best managers signed the person first over the player, the type of person they were. And, uh, David Jeffries did it Stephen Baxter did it they wanted the right people at the club and when you have the right people and then you have quality with it then there's no stopping you and, and, and Sean Moore and, and, and Philip Laurie take both them boxes for me and two great pros and two great lads yeah absolutely I think for me this season anyway and I've only missed the one game this season being, um, being able to watch it but Philip Laurie for me this season has been by a distance landslide distance being our best player whether he's sitting deep or whether he's doing box to box and even in frustrating games where we've lost he's the creativity the spark the desire I just admire him as a football player and Sean Ward's a player I was gutted was allowed to leave I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves in my opinion as a, as a footballer especially at his time at Crusaders I thought he was fantastic for us especially in terms of his versatility as well um with, with those players, especially like Sean Ward being allowed to leave, and then when Michael Galt was allowed to leave Crusaders, um, he was there for that season and he left. These are big, big players, big personalities, winners. And when they go to a different a, a club, and I say it respectfully, maybe smaller club that might not have the same expectations as Crusaders did in terms of wanting to challenge for a league title. And then you moved on to Dungannon and you've been challenging and winning leagues and challenging for cups your whole career in the Irish League. What's the difference in mentality when you go to those, maybe when you go to a Dungannon, which is a club which has a very strict footballing philosophy and direction, young players, plays good football, all that stuff. How do you adapt to that? Because Sean Ward said something in my podcast when I had him on, and it was one of the best things I've heard on a podcast, that it really frustrates him, the acceptance of losing. 
So when you're at these clubs that are maybe battling uphill a little bit more and what's what's that mentality? Like what's the difference when you go into a club like Dungannon that isn't expected challenge for league titles? What's your personal mentality going in there? I think I think that's a, it's very well put by Sean there in terms of frustrating and accepting the I, I suppose they're gonna be a wee bit different differently in terms of Dungannon in terms of we, we, young players and, and you look at them and, and you kind of just want to just it's almost you want to like freeze them and say look I've been in your position I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in your career if you don't you know what I mean start thinking like this and thinking differently and you try and get that mentality across like you know what I mean about like how important it is to have that winning mentality and you have to want to win every game the thing that probably when I first went to Gannon was maybe and something when you that annoyed me was when we went and played against Crusaders and Cliftonville. <laughs> I was still going into them games and the mentality like Cliftonville away, right? I've got results here before. This is what we have to do. And then after a while, maybe you're three or four, you've been three nil down at half time, and you're sitting going to yourself, "What's going on here?" And then you you don't accept it, but you kind of get into this mentality like, "Well, they've got more quality than us. Maybe they've got more senior players and things like that there." But then you, you snap out of it and you go, but it's just Cliftonville. You know what I mean? We can still beat this team. Do you know what I mean? It's it, I think it's trying to get that balance of, you know, w- what's expected of you. But as a player and as a person, and, and we're all, if we all be honest, we're all addicted to competition. We all believe, you know what I mean? We, we want to be the best. When you do, and obviously I, I don't I've experienced it quite a lot this year as well. You know what I mean? Getting beat heavily and getting beat by different teams. It's, it's I have to be honest, I, I actually love them the challenge in terms of development for myself in terms of management and coaching and, and, and seeing how the, all our teams in the league operate it's been brilliant in terms of that but losing regardless if you're at Linfield Crusaders or Dungannon is the exact same it's losing to losing and I go home and I'm sure all players in the Irish league do it you go home and you're in bad form and you, you try and you try and you try and not let it affect your day-to-day life but it does it, it does it puts you in bad form I come back to the kids and I feel guilty and obviously Julianne the kids are here all day and the rum see you when you come to the door if you win sure you're, you're loving life and you come on and happy but when you lose it's that their mentality of trying to you know what I mean not let it affect your your personal life and things like that there but it does and I, I don't know a player it doesn't affect so it's 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 the pain of losing. It's that will never go away. But I think you have to learn to have that balance where you have to have some sort of reality that you know there is going to be times you're going to lose. But you know more more than win maybe with some, with a smaller club. But you want to instill that that winning mentality so that when you get beat one week, the next week we can win the next game. We can win the next game. We can win the next game. And I think that's something I've noticed, obviously, with the young boys, Dungannon, and a few of the players, Dungannon, because there's, there's a few good players I play with at Dungannon, and there's a few, there's three players that come to mind, Paul McElroy, Shannon Clickers, and Chris Hegarty, that came in the, the Linfield team with Warren Feeney. And they just didn't really adapt to the Linfield way, and, and it took them a while, and they really struggled with the getting their foot in through the door of the club. And there's three quality players, but they just didn't really, didn't hit the ground running. Now, look, at now at the minute, obviously, Chris is, Doing well with Crusaders, Paul's doing very well with Balamina and Shannon's at Glenthorne, who was brilliant with us last year, you know. But you know, when it's like a different mentality at these clubs, and it's kind of like when you go into them, they kind of they do fear the likes of Crusaders and Linfield and coming down, but 
at the same thing as well, a lot of them are still young and learning the game. So you have to be able a little bit of give and take with them. And for me, as you hit the nail on the head, Dungannon have a philosophy of loving young players and, and developing them, playing football the right way. And that's something they'll continue to do. But Chris Lindsay was fantastic when he came, obviously, because he wanted to, he had a winning mentality and he wanted to push them on and drive them on and, and get as much out of them. But I think with the way the league went in terms of bigger clubs, more financial exposure, bigger squads, like, like the top, six now are, are literally untouchable um that the clubs that the, as i say it's a there's an eight team league and then there's a four team league and unfortunately warren point carrick ourselves and Porter down are down there and that like kind of mini four team league and whoever comes out top out of that league you know what i mean is looking to, to be okay but it's it's not something that i say proud like i accept being there and, and things like that there obviously I, I it hurts when i lose and i don't want to lose and it's no different losing playing for Linfield Crusaders than it is playing for Dungannon. So I do struggle with that. But when I look around the rest of the team, there's players in the team that do struggle with it. Maybe some of the younger boys just haven't yet grasped it yet because they're still coming from a young environment, 20s. But if they want to progress, they have to pick that up very, very, very quickly because it's something that if they don't learn now and they start don't start setting themselves targets in, in terms of quality and excellence and, and how to train, how to look after yourself, you know what I mean? I know, because that's what I'm saying, you'll know that they'll struggle within their career. So it's very, very important that they learn early and the importance of how to win and the importance of preparing to win, obviously, regardless if you're playing for Dungannon or Linfield. Because at the end of the day, that's what senior football is all about, is points. Uh, and this year has been a, an absolutely terrible year, personally, and collectively for Dungannon, obviously with their current league position. But that, that's football and, and I suppose our saving graces there's no there's no relegation and, and and saying that we don't want to be down there and there's games left and the new managers come in so it's it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to build and put ourselves in a better position now for the start next year I, I wholeheartedly agree with you and not only new managers coming in there's a couple of signings were brought in in January Rory Patterson being one an experienced striker a goal scorer scored yesterday very good header by the way um yeah. What's what uh, for you as one of the sort of more experienced players in the side? When you see a player like Rory coming in, is that something to be excited about? Here, someone who's been there, done it, can help lift the younger players a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I, I suppose I look at well in terms of Rory. Me and Rory, I played Rory came in at Linfield when I was there, um, and then he came in at Crusaders when I was there. So um, Rory, and I listened to his, I couldn't wait to listen to his podcast. I actually, listened to it on the day he signed, actually. And um, I think he's probably the most misunderstood. I don't know if you're taking this one. Probably the mis- most misunderstood player in terms of, you know what I mean? People, like I always say to him, like you always look grumpy on the pitch and all, and you know, like, <laughs> you're never smiling. I think managers sometimes take that as a maybe, oh, he doesn't like it here, or he's, he's grumping, or, or he's huffy. I, I think Roy's just that type of person, you know what I mean? Like, he's a wee bit like, i seen on Martial today, like, he was fantastic, but he didn't really smile, and he was going off the pitch. Roy's a wee bit, was a wee bit like that, you know what I mean? You very rarely see him laughing and joking and things like that there, but what, what he does do, and um, I've seen players struggle with it, he expects, he expects, like, high standards of his, of his players, and I, I really enjoy that Olympic. Some players Olympic didn't like it, Um when he came in at Linfield, he upset a few people, but he like if I didn't give him the ball, he was raging. Like he, like like literally, like he would have like looked at you, like he looked through you, and he still does it. 
to this day to the young young <laughs> animals. And and I and I and I I'm a wee bit different in terms of my approach to the young guys. I maybe maybe his way's better. I'm a wee bit more softer. Like I like to try and speak to them and try and encourage them and try and build their confidence up. Whereas Rory is doing that, but he's still giving them that Rory Batterson look. Because at this say, if you don't put that ball in there again, I am going to kill you. And that is that's good for them players. Um, and some people might not realize that now, but. For them young players to have that wee bit of added pressure. And then Roy Carroll on top of that, he's come in, he's been incredible. Um, in terms of, you know, just I I just love listening to the man and his experiences and his stories. Um, but that demand of excellence at that for where they've played is a good benchmark for the young players. So the more players they see doing that, hopefully for them, they'll strive to do better. And the, the academy is well set up and, and, and they're well, it's a well-run club and there's good footballers. And that's what my point is. You know, I mean, they're good footballers, but there's a difference between being a good footballer and then a serial winner or going out and able to able to win leagues and things like that. There, that comes with experience and development. So it's all right being a good footballer and playing the right way and things like that. There, but if they want to push on to the next level, it's that standards and not letting it slip and stepping up week in week out. And boys like Rory coming in kind of shows that even at his age and the way he performed yesterday was, he, was, he was fantastic and then obviously Roy as well brings that as well with his professionalism and his experience so it's it's a, it's a, it's an interesting mix obviously when, when Chris signed him and people worry you know I mean case Roy came in was a bit maybe I don't know disruptive some people kind of thought maybe sometimes because he, he likes to play he doesn't like to be left out but I had a good chat with Roy and he, he was just like look I'm not. I'm past all that. He goes. I was younger me, and he was very honest and open about it. He got very frustrated in football and things like that. But listen to his podcast. I thought he was. He was very, very interesting. He's somebody I've always got on well, well with. Um, and then it's, it's good to see him back in the score sheet yesterday, and hopefully he can carry on scoring now for the rest of the season. Yep. Fingers crossed. Hopefully he scores a bucket load for you. It's just none against Crusaders would be my <laughs> wish. <laughs> but I really, really interesting podcast with him. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I love his just his desire to score goals and his desire to play. The story that he told whenever he was left out of the cup final for Derry City and then he coming on to score the winner. And I sort of said, I suppose you wouldn't change it now coming on to score the winner. He's like, I would change it. I want, I'd rather start, you know, it just, just how, <laughs> how hungry he was to play and to start. I, I, I love that. I really do. I love that sort of hungry mentality. And I think it's really, really, really good for the young players, Dunganham, with maybe different types of older players, their experienced players to help them along the way. Um, what's your thoughts? Dean Shields um, has come in and um, named the new manager. Big, that was a big shock to me. I thought it was very out of the blue. What, what were your thoughts as, as a Dunganham player? Yeah, I, um, we, I suppose... <sighs> It was very difficult, honestly, because Chris Lindsay, I know Chris Lindsay very well, and he's a, one of the, the best coaches I've worked on there. As a coach, Chris's sessions were fantastic. I think he had a very difficult job. Um, I think it got a wee bit, maybe he'll tell you himself, it was, it was tough near the end, and the pressure that puts on, on somebody in terms of their family and things like that there. They got an Isaac manager's tough, tough profession. But um, in terms of... the that transition for me, I, I struggled. I, I took that personally because obviously I, I was close to Chris and, and him losing the job was difficult. Dixie's came in there for a period and tried to settle the club back down again. The Dean Shields, we we weren't aware when the club were going to recruit the new manager. So there was talk of it being at the end of the year or, you know what I mean? It was the first experience that I've ever had in the Irish League. So we didn't know what was happening. So when, when it was kind of announced and, and the chairman told us, it, 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 it wasn't a shock in terms of, you know, Dean's not capable. It was more of a shock in terms of, well, 
I, I didn't even see it coming. Like, you know, I, mean, I thought it was coming at the end of the year. But um, I I played under Kenny, Dean's dad, obviously, with the Northern Honor 17. He's my manager. And, and Kenny, to me, was oh fantastic. And he got us to the, as I said, he got us to the last eight in Europe. And Kenny was a unique character. Like, Kenny had us doing, like, core plank and stuff like that. There before it was fashionable to do plank. Now every team does it. You know what I mean? Kenny was doing all these things with us back in the day, like, that no other managers were doing. It was kind of, it's kind of an innovator, so to speak. Uh, and he has a way of playing. And I knew Dean, I see, I've watched Northern Ireland, the national women, quite a lot. And Dean's been having them playing out from the back and, and playing the right way and things like that. They're passing through the thirds. And um, he just fits, I suppose, the Ghana philosophy of playing the right way and developing young players. So when you break it all down, it's not really a shock because, you know what I mean, in terms of that, I, I hear he's on his pro license. He's doing his pro license this year, I think. And I'm on the pro license this year. So that might be an awkward one in terms of both of us on the pro license at the same time. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope he doesn't hammer any of his, uh, the current players and hangs me up. <laughs> fits me up. But um, no, it's um, it's it's one of them clubs. And it's something I say, I, I, when Dungana, when I played against him, he went down, well-run club, very friendly club. A lot of young players played, tried to play the right way, and you always got a tough game. It's kind of like, you know, I mean, for a young manager, it's a perfect ground to start getting experience, you know what I mean, in terms of developing players and obviously getting an name for yourself. So someone like Dean Steeles could come in and, and will enjoy it. A new challenge, his first taste of management, the Irish League, and he'd be tested against the top clubs. So it's a good opportunity for him to come in and put his own style and his own ideas in. So... Um, in terms of that, I only actually shook his hand on, on Saturday, um, but we started Tuesday night, so it's one of them. I'm one of my I'm turning thirty three here and at the start of April, and I'm probably just as excited as anybody about a new manager coming in. I, I love that. I love when a new manager comes in and people get nervous about their positions. And my, my contract's obviously one of them was up at the end of the year. And when you're younger, you panic about stuff like that, but when you're at my age, you kind of take that on board as a challenge, and, and you look forward to it, and you want to impress and and obviously work on their new manager. So. It's, it's an interesting time for, obviously, the club. Um, there's a lot of good young footballers that need still need a lot of work in terms of the development. Um, and that's shown, obviously, results-wise. But, um, obviously, with this year, we can't get relegated. So, it's a good opportunity to try and, you know, develop a team and, and, and build a, a squad that, obviously, challenge next year and compete, which is going to be an even more difficultly. Because, to me, as you just hit the nail on the head, it's getting even more professional every single year. So um the league's continue to develop and it's it's an exciting time to be a part of it it really is and i'm excited to see what happens with dungannon as i'm sure you are too you said you you like it when a new manager comes in new ideas how's he going to do things he's very young will he i'm sure he'll be probably way different than say a stephen baxter or a big davy who maybe come from a bit of an older school of management so it'll be really interesting to see what he does, how Dungannon do and how they progress. And I agree with you. It, it's really is a good season now with the th threat of relegation removed to build that team, to build the philosophy, to look at what's what you can do next season. But as you, as you mentioned, and I want to chat to you a little bit about this, and then we'll go into some questions that different fans and different people have submitted in, on uh, Instagram and Twitter. But we mentioned that top six, it's almost like a bit of a closed shop now with the, with the finances with teams going professional, you know, Linfield starting again this this year, the coming season, Glen Torren have started Crusaders, Lauren have really probably been the blueprint in terms of what where you want to set up professionally. 
um, going in. You've got Glenavon and Balamina, who on their day could beat pretty much anybody and fl- or sort of flirt with that top six and really wouldn't shock anyone if they ended up in it either, <laughs> given you yeah. know the players that they have there and the management that they have in place and stuff like that. The future of the Irish League and professional football in the Irish League, what's sort of your thoughts on it and how do you see it progressing as, as year on year? Well, it's an interesting one because um, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you this. I recently, I did a, a master's in sports management and I built my um, thesis and research all around the need for a PFA, which is a professional football association for Northern Ireland. So for the last two years, I suppose I've been doing work around, you know, in um, how to develop it, how to build it and how to roll out a model. And we've actually a committee set up now within the, within the Irish League of, of current players across the Premiership, Championship, and the Northern Ireland, the Niffle Premiership Women's League. And it's something I'm I'm very passionate about. Obviously, the PFA in England helped me massively um, in terms of support off the pitch. Um, and it's crucial when you have teams and players going full-time. It is crucial in terms of their education and their development which is needed because when you're a full-time footballer, you sometimes sacrifice your education and other things. So it's just to get back to your question, the league is developing. And then that, that's where I think that PFA model fits in nicely with that and fits well within the league currently. And it's something that, that's well needed to support our players because the league is going more professional and with more professionalism, obviously comes the more interest in terms of TB um getting these players, you know what I mean, image rights, everything that goes with it. Players signing contracts that are basically making them full-time, so they're training only in the morning or playing football, and the rest of the time they're off. I mean, the league is going towards a new level that Northern Ireland has never had before, and it's it's exciting. And now what we're hoping for is that it's kind of like, and I said, Lauren have came in, and now Glenn Thorne, and everybody else is kind of like, up their game almost, even Crusaders and Linfield, because Crusaders and Linfield were the clubs that kind of went full-time, I suppose, first, Linfield years ago, and then obviously Crusaders did it, made that leap kind of with Lauren and things like that. It's trying to build the whole league now so that it continues to develop. And my biggest criticism of our league is that there's a, there's a ceiling, and some people within committees and structures don't push the clubs on to be bigger and better. Do you know what I mean? They always just want to get by and, and do as they, they want and survive the next year and, and maybe think one year down the line, two years down the line. Lauren have come in with a plan <laughs> of attack. And let's be honest, they've been absolutely a, a joy to watch on the pitch. But they're, the way they've handled themselves off the pitch, I think, has been very professional and very classy. And it's, it's great to see that investment in a local club, what it does for the community, the town, and the people involved with it. And my only hope is that we don't turn around and go, oh, Lauren, and, and start turning against them. We all jump on the, their bandwagon, almost all of us, and, and, and go with them. And, and, and hopefully, in, in that case, the league will continue to develop and get better and better. And it's, it's definitely there. The quality is there. The facilities are there. The fans are there. I just think there's certain people in different maybe structures within the the the, the different not to be careful to say here I suppose the league structure in terms of how much they want to promote the league and push it on because I I know like a lot of people I get very defensive of the league when when people want to put it down or dismiss it 
you know what I mean? I don't like it. And because um, I know what kind of effort and sacrifice people put into it. And that comes from the club, the managers, the committees, the players, the volunteers, everybody involved with the football club, how much effort was in it. I just hope now we don't miss this opportunity to really professionalize and galvanize the league and have it structured so that it's entertaining value for money and we get more fans on the ground, we get more young people on the ground and we get more games on TV because I think the TV exposure from BBC this year has been fantastic and I think people have really enjoyed it and I just hope that it continues to carry on like that and more games in Sky Sports as well. So for me it's an exciting time and it's something I suppose I'm at the maybe latter stages of my career but in terms of you know I mean I'll always be looking to try and you know I mean want to be a part of supporting it and if any club wants to develop and push themselves on I'm all for it and the more full-time clubs we have and, and the better the quality in the league brilliant it's exciting and obviously it creates a, a stronger football economy for, for Northern Ireland which is which is definitely exciting and thrilling to look forward to I agree you see that you see the TV stuff I think it's so key and what I really hope is the BBC have done a phenomenal job this season as have the clubs in fairness at organizing streams and things but the BBC games, whether it be a Friday night game and then a 5.30 on a Saturday, and I hope when things do get back to, to normal, that the BBC continue that because if if I'm following a team in England, I watch my team in England's game and that's it. You know, I'm not watching a random, I'm not watching Leicester versus Aston Villa. But oh. if if on a Friday night or on a Saturday 5.30, it's Glen Torn versus Dungannon, I'll sit and watch it. You know, just mm-hmm. because it's Northern Ireland, and I think I think that's key. I really hope that when things do go back to normal, that this isn't just a one-off season where they do all these TV games. I really hope that continues um, uh, going forward. But one one of the things um, that you mentioned there in terms of the clubs going professional, something I listened to last week, and Portadown have started their own um, Portadown podcast, and one of my friends is one of the hosts on it, so I listen in every week and hear what they're up to they're talking about their pitch needing to be relayed in the next couple of years they mentioned their groundsman said it's at its end of its life and they're talking about the fans between themselves in this podcast like should we go 3g or 4g or whatever um even as a revenue stream is that something you can see becoming more and more prevalent in the league you know we've already got Larne, crusaders and cliftonville can you see that going further in the league you know three and 4g maybe everywhere at some stage i it's funny, I was talking about this yesterday, I think it was me and Alan Taggart down in Gannon, um, um, and obviously Alan's career, he's, he's well experienced and he's seen, he's seen everything. Um, like Dungannon for me, <laughs> putting the 3D pits down in Stagmore Park would be ideal for the development of the club in terms of our training pits or facility. Because when I was at Crusaders, I loved it. You went there, you trained there, you played there, you knew the surface, you, you knew what you were getting every single day, never changed. Great service to play on. And if you want to pass the ball and move about, fantastic. You know, it's the, and, and I don't want to get into the, the summer football debate, but when you're going to certain clubs and, and you feel for them that, you know, games are being called off in the November, December, January period and they're frozen, they're wet and things like that. And then you look at the fixtures and you go, who's Crusaders playing? Who's Lauren playing? That's going to go ahead. That, do you know what I mean? And it's that kind of, you know, I know it happened in Iceland and they say that's one of the biggest things they did was obviously these domes for the development of football. But I don't see it as a bad thing. Uh, and that's looking at it from all aspects in terms of, of a club's revenue stream. Definitely. The club's training, the academy training there, definitely. Renting it out to local teams, make, making a profit, fantastic. But also the style of play and the brand. 
uh, my, my image of the Sky TV when the match has been at Lauren under the lights or Seaview under the lights um, on the pitch, you get a true game. And obviously, the pen, there's no wind or anything like that there. It's, it's an enjoyable game to watch. It's a lot quicker. The ball moves better on the 3G and 4G. And me personally, I, I love it. I know some players in the league still don't, but then players will naturally die off. And I remember Guy Hamilton was always a big thing. He never played on Seaview, you know, didn't like it and things like that. But I think if, if it's a good pitch, like Lawrence is brilliant, Seaview is brilliant. You know, I mean, maybe needs a bit, bit of work now, I think, personally. Um, might need to be restructured. But in terms of revenue, the players' development, um, technical side of the game, I think they're brilliant. And um, I could see I could see a lot of clubs going down that route because the the, the Crusaders model and Cleppenville model has been probably the biggest eye-opener of, of what, what they've achieved since they went with 3G pitches, when you think about it. And, and I know that's not the only reason they've been successful because we've touched on that throughout the podcast, but it's definitely been a factor. And um, I suppose other clubs are looking at that and thinking, well, why not? Why wouldn't we? If we can. And uh, it obviously gives us a base for our first team to train at and, and the academy and the youth teams to train at and it's not doing us any harm, then it, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? I think so. For me in Northern Irish football, I think money makes the world go round in Northern Ireland. It's almost, you know, just to qualify for Europe is like happy days. We're sorted for the next year. All our expenses, mm-hmm. we're good. And it's it's different to England with TV rights and all that sort of stuff pays for everything over there. But Northern Ireland, it really is money that makes our football world go round. And the revenue stream for me is is huge for for the three and four G in terms of the pitch rentals and things like that, and everyone being able to train, you're not having to rent out places to train and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's so key. But one of my favorite parts of the podcast is I call it sort of a quick fire Q and A, and I like to sort of throw it out on social media and get any responses back from different people that have maybe have questions for you or comments. And the first one I want to start with is someone we've talked about in the podcast, Sean Ward. I don't know if there's a story behind this or he's just being really nice. But he just put in a comment saying, "Brilliant human being." <laughs> uh, no, there's no story behind that. I think that's just Morty being Morty. I'm glad now that I didn't see that. I'm glad I talked so well about the man and, and how much a good lad he is. But nah, I think Morty's one of them people that you know the Costa at uh, York. Yet. Yeah, me and Morty would have met there maybe an hour and a half before kick a game before we we're scheduled to meet. And we just literally would talk football and life and, and all things. And he's one of the people you could sit and talk to all day. Like just a just a great great man with with a, a level head and, and, and just so well respected throughout the league. Like uh, he's a gentleman. Absolutely. And what a player as well, you know, yeah, absolutely. as you mentioned. Another one here um from I don't know this, I don't know Robbie, but Robbie, is it Robbie McKay? Robbie McKay has sent in this question. Did you have any major regrets when leaving Linfield? Um, yeah, as I say, the major regret was probably the way it was done. Um, I think there was a, it was misconstrued by, by a lot of Linfield fans initially, and I wanted to come out and probably say my own thing, but I didn't really go to social media. And the club had a, a website policy where you kind of had to, um, I suppose, leave with their advice kind of thing. But, you know, I never really made the decision to leave Linfield. It was kind of made for me and it was never ever portrayed by that. It was never, but it was something that was kind of made out that I jumped the Crusaders and kind of went there from like me and Billy Joe laughed and all about the money situation. I remember getting the money thrown on the pitch and things like that there. And 
if people knew the ins and outs of it, you know what I mean? Like, me and Billy Joe were like, Billy Joe was down as the barman or something, you know what I mean? I think I was down as the waitress or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't but it was, it was that mentality that I didn't like that, you know what I mean? That we had let the club down when it was the other way around. We felt maybe, you know what I mean, powers to be within Linfield had let us down, so to speak. So, um, that would be my only disappointment that, you know what I mean? We were seen to be leaving the club by choice, but when the decision was made for us, um, that would have been it because other than that, I, as I said, I had a fantastic like, seven years at the club um, and some of the fondest memories. So I've, I've no regrets and I've played in so many good games and, and, and moments that I'll, I'll cherish for the rest of my life. So um, probably just the only way, I suppose like any player, is how you exit the club. And I just thought it would, I would have liked to have gone out maybe in a different way. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, another another question here, this time from a Crusaders fan. Um Jake Davis, he said, you've played under Michael Galt as a captain, you've played under Coatsy as a captain. What type, what, 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 I'm trying to read how he's worded this. What should a captain do is, is the way he's asked it. I think he's trying to say, like, how should a captain lead, perhaps? And is there any major differences between how maybe Galt and Coatsy led? All right, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very, very good question. And it's something that I was always fascinated about as well because. I suppose my first captain at Linfield was, was Noel Billy, and he was skipper. Like, you called Noel Billy skipper. Like, the Irish League called Noel Billy skipper. <laughs> you'd, be in the, you'd be in the tunnel, and other players would call him skipper, and you're just like, wow. Didn't say a word. Quiet. Clever. Spoke to you in, uh, quietly to you, but he led by example, and he was quality, and like, unbelievable that, and that was with serious characters around him. Like, Big personalities and loud leaders beside him. That's the way he. That's the way he. He was. He was a captain. Michael Galt then obviously took the captaincy, and and Galti was is a personality. Galti is like driven. He he loves it. He comes from a good family background. He, like I know his mom and dad. Well, he's well brought up. Um, he leads by. Is he wants to win, and he is his aggression on the pitch was like a great a great example for anybody when Galti was was on his game and I think Crusaders even seen it and put it down fans probably seen it Galti was on his game in midfield you know what I mean those big long legs he would smash anything he could box the box he was up and down he was winning headers and things like that he led like that um, a lot different probably than Noel Bailey in terms of the way I think Galti probably enjoyed more of the limelight more probably more than Noel um, but Galti had his way of doing things and, and that's why I suppose Galti was a success. We joke because he, he even reminded me today to make sure he calls him Skipper on the <laughs> on the podcast. But it's it's very it's very hard to call him Skipper with Joe Billy was always Skipper. But Galdi was is a is a person that the whole RSD has admiration for, and he's just one of them people that you like to be in his company. And he's uh I think he's actually turned his hand into being a football agent nowadays. He's 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 that that many players are know him and they go through Michael Galt for his connections and things like that there, but. No, he was fantastic. And Colin, then Colin Coach was just, he was, he, to me, he was a leader in terms of Coachy knew the Crusaders' way. He knew how to play. And when he, when he once again, big moments when you needed your skipper to step up, Michael Galt did it, Noel did it, Noel Bailey did it. When you needed your captain to step up, Colin Coach would have stepped up. You know what I mean? Like the big games, like he would have had a night, maybe he had a bad game the week before, and you're going to play against Linfield the next week. And you're a CV and you're thinking, oh, it's going to be tight. Coachy just, you know, 
common pawn headers 30 yards down the pitch, pulling defenders in, tackles, challenging, scoring goals, do you know what I mean? And and, and he was a he was somebody that I had a lot of, a lot of respect for and continues to have a lot of respect for, obviously, and played against him recently for Glen Avon, and he, you can still see he's, he's still got that hunger to him. Um, and the interesting thing, I suppose, about Galtier and, and Coach is, you know what I mean, their characters, they're, you know what I mean, they're, they're well-respected, but they, don't, they wouldn't necessarily be the most gifted footballers, per se. Like they're, they're good footballers, but it's the way they control themselves and conduct themselves as players in terms of their mentality that makes them good leaders. So when it comes to the leaders, it's all about mentality for me. It's, it's that like you turn to them when you're in the middle of a battle and you expect them to step up, and nine times out of ten, they usually do step up and, uh, and help the team. It's an interesting one, especially the co- the coachy one. Always oh, a bit closer to home because of the length of time at Crusaders and things like that. Um, shout out to Paul Gilmore in this this story because Paul Gilmore organised myself and a group of our friends to go up the CV to play in a charity tournament. Um, it was way way back, maybe 2011, that Michael Halliday had organised when he was at the crease, and um, we all turned up. We all thought we we're going to be in the same team, but the tournament the way it worked was they there was a lot of Crusaders first teamers playing, and they put some of them in a team and then some some fans and some people that turned up so everyone was spread across in different teams and I happened to be in a team with Coatsy and probably my favorite ever Crusaders player Chris Morrow loved watching Beaver play football mm-hmm. and we are is that little charity tournament and there was kids and all playing I'm talking like eight nine year olds playing and I remember Coatsy said before like was lads we're winning this tournament you know like don't be messing around. Like we're here to win this tournament. And he was getting the ball and running the whole half pitch because they played two little half pitches. I was just battering the goals. And he was determined to win it. Um, they'd done the presentation up in the wee, um, the social upstairs after. And we had a couple of wee kids in our team. And I think Beaver was sort of saying here that one of the lads go up there and lift the trophy. Coach is like, no, I'm going to lift it. And when they'd done the presentation, he went up and got the trophy. And I was like, this man just must just be desperate to win. And that always sort of stuck out to me about him. It's it's. I was, I was talking to someone else, but doesn't Galdi fits. It's like I'm not saying their their ego, their, their egos are, and they need their egos for it. But they have this thing where that that's the crave for it, the crave for that. You know what I mean? To be in that moment, the, the boys I got, and I think it's all good players love being in that heat of the moment, the competition, the winning. That they love being in that environment. But that probably leads to my, my next point: seeing training. Like see Michael Galdi training, he was the worst trainer I think I've seen. See Coatsy in training. Coatsy couldn't get motivated in, in like his, his years of training. And I think Stephen Baxter pulls her out. But I, did, I didn't care. I really didn't care. And that's when our good manager comes in, I suppose, in terms of Stephen Baxter and David Jeffrey. He didn't really care about the training bit. Because see, when you put Michael Gold back in competitive mode, a match, boom, he could just flick, he could just turn it on again. Coatsy was the exact same. See, if Coatsy was running about in training and he, he, there was no competition or he's not, he wasn't getting anything from it, he maybe wouldn't be buzzing about. See, when he came to a match, switch, bang. Do you know what I mean? And that's something I find interesting with them types of players. Do you know what I mean? Because like I, I do enjoy training. I, I love training and, and I always try and get something out of it. Them boys there just knew what they had to do in terms of the training pitch to prepare for a Saturday. But see when it came to the Saturday, bang, that was them. Just touched the button. Like, and we used to laugh because Galtier in training, we used to wind up, he couldn't pass the ball and things like that there and couldn't do anything on the ball. Turned on to a match and you probably got man of the match on the Saturday. Kill me to say this, you probably got man of the match on the Saturday or something. Maybe turn around looking at you going, that's me and all, that's Skipper and all, and you're looking at him laughing and all, things like that there, but that was just the kind of mentality he had. But it's interesting when you look at them players, they didn't like training, but when it came to a Saturday, poof, it was incredible the way they just turn on performance. 
and and as long as they're doing the business on the Saturday, you don't mind, you know, when they're just able to just turn it on and lead the team and maybe stop goals, pop up with goals, and just cover every blade of grass. Yeah, that's it, and and that's what they they live for, kind of thing. Whereas I suppose I was a bit more, I always like probably reflected on my training and said, well, I was poor in training, I was terrible, I should have done this and that. I, I think them boys literally just didn't didn't really phase them. <laughs> they didn't overthink those kind of things. They kind of thought, all right, bad friend, really see me on Saturday. And that was just kind of their mindset. And I think that that's good for a captain to have that because then all our players jump on that bandwagon with them and go up, go along with them. Um, but that, that's that's just something that's interesting, actually, when I think about them too, in particular. Um, but then it was interesting when I had them both in the same team in training, obviously, at Crusaders and things like that. Because obviously, that was another thing that I probably haven't touched on enough. The, the training games at Crusaders and at Linfield were, oh, you know what I mean? You wanted to win them, right? That was that was instilled in you. You win a training game, the the be five sides, and if you didn't, there was huffing in the change room afterwards, and you seen boys losing it and all. But I love that. I still love it. when you lost and boys were raging and annoyed with all other boys in the team and all. And I think that's something that you know what I mean. When you go to other clubs, you want to try and instill as well that winning mentality on the training pitch and the, the hunger to always win rather to train or, or a match. But uh, no, top teams have that. Like and that's not something you just turn on. It obviously shows then, you know, in the medal count in the trophy hall at the end of the season, you know, when you have that winning mentality. Um, right. Another another question here for you, favourite ground to play at? Is there a particular, well, maybe it's a fixture against the team, is there a particular ground you just love going to? I, I always, uh, I always have seen that, not this year, I always seen that a good game down Coleraine. I always remember Coleraine games with Linford, I always enjoyed going to, going to Coleraine and I used to, and then this was probably, I love CB. I loved Going to see if you were Linfield when they had the three G pitch down. And I enjoyed Timbal as well because I suppose the way I played in terms of I like getting the ball to my feet. I like, you know what I mean, a good honest pitch. You can knock it, you knew what you're getting out of it. I always enjoyed them pitches. Um so I probably would actually say it CV would, would have been would have been my favorite. Um and then when I was at the club, I used to love the games of CV. I I think it's uh on a Friday night game, especially when the lights are coming down, there's a good, a good atmosphere and a good crowd in, and the pitch is some, some of the best games I've been involved in anyway, in terms of entertainment, because um, the way Crusaders play, I think the pitch was, was brilliant. So I'd probably go Seaview, yeah. I, I love Seaview, of course, um, but I just don't think you ever get a bad view at Seaview. Um, yeah. I always always like it too, from a, from a fan perspective. I love um, the stand, turnover. I love that. That's what I really like. This, the, yeah. the main stand, just looking over because you look right up and you see, like, you know what I mean, all the, the fans are and they're almost like looking down on you in the pitch kind of thing. I like that way touch. And it's like a proper wee close-knit RS League ground where it's nice and tight. And the atmosphere when obviously when Linfield are over and Glen Thorne are over and it's that they're packed it the whole way around and all. And it's, a, it's just a proper wee buzz around the whole ground. Like, yeah. So I've always enjoyed it there. Yeah, yeah, same. Love, love CV. I love home games. Obviously, I love away games too. Like, but they're, I just I love the buzz around CV for a home game. What about, um, is there any fullback that you hated playing against or any particular fullback that you're just like, oh, here we go, this guy again or whatever? Jeepers. Me and Philly, I always have this joke and it's, it's something that always stuck with us because me and Philly, uh, Linfield, I played in the left a lot of times, Philly played in the right. Or if I play in the right, fully play in the middle, or so we, there's so many good players who are mixed across. But Ronan Skinnell at Clevenville was, oh my God. You try to, you try to go past him <laughs> down the outside because your manager will look at him and say, Ronan's getting a bit older now, run him. And he was so clever that he read it and he could wrap his leg around. 
But see if you went to go inside. I don't know. He had this third leg. I don't know where it ever came from. He used to be able to wrap his leg around and take the ball off you. But he, he didn't tackle you and kick it out of play. Like, no, like some fullbacks come in and smash you. He used to like, slide and keep control of the ball and then put his body in and start running. He was so difficult to play against. Um, I actually remember one time at Linfield, he, he actually took a ball off me. One, two, one, two, and he ended up scoring. And he was just one of them players that me and Philly Laurie always said, he was like scissor. He scissored you when he was tackling, like not in a bad way, but it was just his, his technique. And he was so difficult to play against. Um, he was one I always obviously lifting Glen Thorne. It was Jason Hill was playing left back my first season. I was right back. Jason Hill, oh, he he loved to tackle and, and and got stuck in as well. So he he was he was he was always difficult. Um, well, then obviously. When I was playing for Linfield, I loved playing it because obviously Billy Joe Burns was my best was one of my best mates. When I come up against BJ and I obviously played against him, that's something that I did learn in football. You don't realize how good your teammates are until you play against them, kind of thing. And, and that's something that's interesting because when you're in your team, you take for granted what they're, they're capable of doing. But when you play against them, you actually get a better appreciation. And uh, there's n- there's nothing like it when Billy Joe Burns is in full speed going up and down the line as well. So, but no, the, the league's littered with. Good fullbacks now, in terms of obviously, I'm getting a bit older and I can't run them anymore, <laughs> so I try and play differently. But you know, I mean, obviously, Lyndon Keynes developed into a very, very good fullback with uh Coleraine, um, and things like that. There, but I think like the game's developing, the fullbacks are different, and you probably experience this. They're all now tidy on the ball and footballers and, and pass and move and pass and move. I suppose back when I first came to the league, it was like. Your fullback hit you, and and and, and marked you very early on. Like you know, when Gareth was going to Crusaders, you know, I mean, you probably would have tried to kick you and intimidate you. And uh, it's a wee bit different now, and that with the fullbacks, a wee bit more, kind of get on the ball and play. But no, it's a if it's the pick one, it's, it's definitely Skinnell. Let me give me, he still gives me some nightmares thinking about getting past him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was a very, very good player, and I hate giving credit then to Ruba Clifton Bill, but um, <laughs> what, what a player, what a player he really was. Yeah. Um, another, another two more questions for you, and that will be us. Um, yeah. one here came in saying, Who is your craziest teammate, and is it Sean O'Neill? Jeepers. <laughs> <laughs> if you can define crazy for me, um, I could maybe tell you a few stories about a few players. Um, Sean O'Neill is loud, don't get me wrong. And, and I wouldn't say crazy. Sean's very, he's very stressed on Sean as well. And see when you speak to him, he's actually, you can have a conversation with a man. So I, I'll give Sean, Sean's probably, would be loud and boisterous and, and good crack and good laugh. But in terms of crazy, um, See, it's interesting. Goalkeepers are always a bit mad, aren't they? Like when you think <laughs> we used that we like like Alan Blaney. We used to call Alan Blaney crazy head. That was his nickname at Linfield. Alan Blaney was, was like he, he was what a lovely fella, lovely fella. Like couldn't say a bad word about him, but he just had this one of those looks in their eyes. No aim. There, you just think he's mental <laughs> kind of thing. Um, he's the craziest. Do you know who I'm going to go actually? And it's an interesting one. Ryan, I don't know if you remember him, Ryan Henderson. Yes, I do. He, I remember, I actually remember him more so in his young earlier career. Mm-hmm. Donny, he played for Donegal Celtic. Linfield signed him. Um, he was brilliant for Donegal Celtic. He was a centre midfielder and he just literally boxed the box. A very, very good goalie player. 
and Davy signed him for Linfield. And like, I remember Robert Gard telling me, in tra- like in training, he goes, mate, that was the weirdest experience ever. And I, I was training with Henderson and I didn't really notice. I was, and I, I was like, what do you mean? And he goes like, Ryan Henderson was just like running, follow me around that whole pitch. And I was like, what's wrong with that? And he goes, he was no, but it wasn't like he was marking me. He, he just like, he didn't really know where he was meant to go, but he just kept going wherever I went. <laughs> and he was like, like, and never said it was weird because he was going in positions that he shouldn't have went. And probably what it materialized was Hendo was never really coached, really maybe around football and positions. But when he played for Donegal Celtic, his role would have been you go man to man with him, and wherever he goes, you go. Because he was a GA player and he, he was fit, he could freaking do that. He could go toe to toe. But the story, like I just couldn't read the boy, and that's why I'm, I was saying crazy. The story it still rings through in my head was <laughs> we were playing Shamrock Rovers for Linfield. I'll never forget it. And we're I think we're three 0 down, and it was down in down in Dublin, and the fans were down. It was getting a wee bit boisterous, and the Shamrock Rovers fans were singing. And Brie McCall hits this, gets a penalty, he hits it, and he misses it, and it falls back to Ryan Anderson, and Ryan Anderson runs in, and he's literally like two yards out, and he just like passes it wide, misses the target, <laughs> and and like we are all holding our heads, going, "How's he missed it?" Like in absolute shock, and I've still got the TV footage. We still laugh at it to this day. Hendo just jogs back, like casually, to the center circle and turns around and faces play as if nothing happened. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like he didn't, like, like he didn't even miss it. Like it, 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 his mindset, it was just like, oh well, I put that wider, let's get back into shape. And I just looked at it, and obviously coming from a probably a Gaelic background, I was like coming from a football background. I was going, and we just missed the sitter. Like you know what I mean? Show some sort of emotion or passion or disappointment. He just jogged back in, and I don't think that lad even. Went home that night and thought about it twice. <laughs> so, in terms of like, how crazy, in terms of you couldn't understand, I'd, I'd probably put a hand up or as one of my ones. But uh, no, there's a few characters, but no, I'll go with that one. I'll finish on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that is unique, especially if you're playing at Linfield away. Shamrock Rovers, probably a very passionate yeah. crowd down there, too. And he's just casually just uh, not, not even taking any I loved consideration. It. I, I love the character of him to be able to do it. Like I said, jealous, maybe, but this is how he laid back in this. But I was just like, wow, didn't even phase him in the slightest way. Brilliant. <laughs> um, final question for you. Howard Beverly sent me this one. He says, if you could, a key culture, a key cultural factor that you'd want to build in a football club whenever you're managing. <sighs> um, key culture. And and I know where, I know where Hard's going. Must mean him would have had a lot of conversations around this, around the, the All Blacks and the, the book. And Bovis actually brought that book away in one of our European trips. When we were talking about, and a lot of it was built around culture. Um, for me personally, and this is my own opinion of it, I think sometimes people can take football and 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 first of all make it too serious and professional straight away and take away the fun aspect. So the big thing for me that I would try to divide in any club is the enjoyment and the feel-good factor off the pitch so that every player feels that they're coming to enjoy what they do and then bring that into the professionalism on the pitch. So on the pitch, there's no boundaries. There's no, like, you know, you're here to work kind of thing. But then it has to be layered with enjoyment and love of what you do because looking back now and even talking during this podcast and all the stories like my memories of good teams like we were going into them matches but a lot of our training sessions we were enjoying ourselves having fun 
and, and challenge ourselves to be better. But if your environment, if your environment, working environment is not right, your playing environment is not right, and your environment off the pitch is not right. And I've experienced that now. And so obviously when things are going wrong, it leads to poor performance on the pitch. So as a manager, and I've said it before, David was good at David was very good at they take the pressure off the players to allow them to perform. So it's about creating a, a fun environment that's built around professionalism on the pitch, but enjoyment. And then, as we have talked about all night, it's that winning mentality and having the desire and hunger to strive for championship after championship after championship after game for as long as you can. I think that's that's the key. And I think um, looking at the RSC this year, I'm not even going to be naive enough to try and predict <laughs> a team that's going to win the league because at the minute we're sitting in a very good position that's very enjoyable it's very exciting and, and, and there's a lot going on but I'd be very surprised at the end of it if it's not the team you know what I mean that um, who obviously have a, a close-knit squad at the minute who, who are enjoying training and, and looking forward to the next match and, and then my time Crusaders, when we were going to win league titles, we were all having fun on the training pitch and we were all like, couldn't, couldn't wait to play. Like, you're beating down, you couldn't wait. You're actually, on a Wednesday, you wish it was Thursday or Friday, so you're closer to the Saturday to play. Linfield was the exact same. And it's just about building that momentum and confidence. And that, and that comes from the pure essence of just enjoying the game. And I think sometimes uh, coaches can take that away. You know what I mean? And, and that's where it's very important for me that coaches understand the importance that players, especially in the Irish League, who, who work and have all their jobs and, and family factors away from home, yes, they get paid to play football. That's not hide from it. And some of them get, you know, a good salary. But at the end of the day, they're like anybody else. They play because they enjoy playing. So if you take that away from them and turn them into too professional too early, you'll you'll lose that um, confidence and something to build on so for me it's, it's it's building an enjoyable environment with professionalism alongside it so I suppose it's quite a long-winded answer but it's, it's, it's typical hard beverage it's not an easy one to <laughs> put into a couple of words but um, no it's something if I ever do go into management that would be something I would you know try and create and I don't think it's something you can create in one month or two months I think that comes in, in years as well so experience is key Absolutely I think I think I think you're right. It's the enjoyment, and then the, the building blocks on top of the enjoyment, first and foremost. And you kind of go mm-hmm. from there. And hopefully, we can see. Well, I'm not going to be pretend I'm not biased. Hopefully, we can see Crusaders do that. It's <laughs> kind of where I'm going. But um, <laughs> but but Michael, it's been it's been a really good conversation. I literally have kept you nearly all night, and I do appreciate the time. I know you're taking time away from the family, so thank you so much for coming no on the show. At all. Really appreciate it, Darren. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, no, it's uh, I enjoy listening to him, obviously, in the, the journeys down to Dungan as well. It's 40 minutes, it takes me to get down there. So I sometimes just listen to one the way down. Yeah, if I don't finish it, it's good listening on the way back. So no, I've thoroughly enjoyed all of them and keep, keep it going, I suppose. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Thank you for the feedback. It's really appreciated. It's something I love doing and the different nuances and the stories and the different ways that just different players like yourself and Michael Galt and Rory and Philip Laurie and all the different guys that I've got on and how they see football and it's such a unique perspective. So thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem, Dan. Thank you very much, Nick. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this episode of the podcast. I'm Darren Potts. I was your host. Give me a follow, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at 
the podcast. Frankie Weir and Richard Clark are the next two upcoming Irish League editions of the show. If you're an MMA fan, have looked through the various podcasts that I've produced. I'm sure you'll find something you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend.